I am willing to wager 20,000 pounds. I will make a tour of the world in 80 days or less. You accept? I accept. I accept. Train leaves for Dover this evening. Good evening, gentlemen. Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome to 80 Days in Exploration podcast. Today's podcast is the very first in our fourth season and is brought to you as ever by three history and geography nerds in an internet power balloon. This podcast is dedicated to discussing little-known countries, territories, settlements, and cities from around the world. My name is Luke Kelly. I'm broadcasting from Hong Kong, and joining me today are... Mark Boyle in Surrey in the UK. And Joe Byrne in Bern, Switzerland. Now, on this very first episode of our fourth season, we have a tiny bit of housekeeping to do up top. Nominations for the Podcast Awards 2019 have just opened, and 80 Days is listed as a nominee. We would love to be shortlisted, but the only way that that can happen is if you, our dear listeners, can help us out. If you can, please go to podcastawards.com and toss a vote our way. Registration takes only 30 seconds or so. Just click the big blue button for nominations at the top of the homepage register and find us under the education category if you've registered to vote in years past you already have an account and it's even easier to take a minute to vote for us we would dearly love your support so please go to podcastawards.com to vote before the end of july also as per usual this season is supported by our patreon backers if you'd like to support the show go to patreon.com forward slash 80 days podcast to get involved uh, but for now, let's get on with the show. And in today's episode, we'll be talking about the Faroe Islands, a small archipelago nation located roughly 200 miles or 320 kilometers northwest of the UK. The islands lie almost halfway between Norway and Iceland, which are to the east and west, respectively. Despite their northern latitude, the Faroes have a generally mild climate year-round thanks to warm air supplied by the Gulf Stream making them much more hospitable than other locations at this latitude. With a total land area of around 1,400 kilometers or 540 square miles and a population of around 50,000, the Faroe Islands have been a self-governing country within the Kingdom of Denmark since 1948. The islands became Danish territory in 1814, before which they were part of the Kingdom of Norway. In Faroese, the native language of these islands, the name translates to the Islands of Sheep, and there are more sheep here than there are people. 70,000. Yep. However, the main industry is and always has been fishing, as the islands are very short on arable land. However, access to the sea couldn't be easier, with no point in the Faroe Islands being further than 5 kilometers or 3 miles from the ocean. The islands have a total landmass of around 1,400 square kilometers or 540 square miles, making them roughly the same size as Bathurst Island in Australia or Martinique in the Caribbean. The Faroes have always been sparsely populated, with the population surpassing 50,000 for the first time just a couple of years ago. And final fun fact, there are a total of just three traffic lights in the Faroe Islands, all of them (laughs) located in the capital of Torsan. Okay, so we'll start out, as we usually do, by foreshadowing some things that we're going to be talking about in this episode, uh, some of our favorite things that are coming up. Mark, how about you go first? Uh, So I'm looking forward to talking about dueling super teams. Uh, I've got two super teams in in my section, and uh, they they face off somewhat. Okay, and what about you, Joe? So you know the way Christianity is usually associated with peace and love for your fellow man. 
Mm. Well, anyway, the the Faroese were quite happy being heathens and then suddenly became Christian. And, it, uh, you know, it was a little more, um, less peaceful than you might expect. Nope, exactly as peaceful as I, as I expect, apparently. Uh, that's, uh, it's why yeah. you shouldn't adjourn a meeting without a, without a resolution to your, uh, to your point of order, I suppose. <laughs> okay. Put it that way. Uh, I'm looking forward to talking about a unique sporting event, which uh, we'll get to probably towards the end of this uh, episode. But it's oh. it's uh, yeah something that I'd never heard of before, and it's kind of like a mini Olympics that the Faroe Islands participates in. Uh, so we'll talk about that in a little bit. Consider me intrigued. All right. Yeah. First, I believe uh, Mark, you interviewed someone for this episode. Is that right? Yes, indeed. So uh, I was talking to a, a fellow called Arnie, uh, who I was very happy to, to have a good good old chin wag with uh, about. Uh, about his his life uh, in the Faroes, he's Faroese himself, and he gave me some some really interesting insights into uh, into life on the Faroes. So I started by asking Arnie what his connection was to the Faroes. My connection to the Faroes is that I was born and raised here, uh, and I I still live here. I spent a couple of years in the UK where I studied. I studied at the University of Aberdeen and uh, and Manchester as well. Uh, but then we we moved back and we have been here ever since and and uh, you know uh, no dramatic uh, changes uh, ch- taking place. This is where we will stay for you know the rest of our lives. Yeah, so we'll be scattering clips from Arnie throughout this episode, and uh, the full interview with Arnie that uh, Mark did earlier this month will be available on our Patreon page for uh, Patreon backers. Uh, we're going to start uploading full versions of the interviews that we conduct for each episode. Uh, onto our Patreon page, so you can look forward to that in the future if you are a patron of 80 Days. And you can find out more about Patreon at patreon.com forward slash 80 Days podcast. I, I should also point out that uh, Arnie, unlike Cher and Prince, does have a surname, and it's uh, Zachariasen, which I neglected to <laughs> mention. Right. But, uh, yeah, anyway. Perfect. Uh, Mark, I believe you are, you're going to kick us off with some early history. Is that right? Yes, sir. Sirty, sir. Um, so, the Faroe Islands are volcanic in nature, like my wife. <laughs> they are millions of years old, like my wife. And they are predominantly constituted of layered basalt rock, which is the most common of the igneous fire-formed rocks, like my wife. Yeah. All right, I'm learning something new. Uh, yeah. com- com- comedy, guys. Comedy. Levity. So, 55 million years or thereabouts ago, uh, we see the formation of the Faroe Islands. And at the time, the region now known as Faroes was a lot closer to the Atlantic tectonic fault lines, where uh, Iceland is today, uh, with all its lovely air traffic halting, uh, smoke spewing volcanoes. Oh yes, <laughs> the, the Faroe Islands formed quite quite rapidly, or you know, quite rapidly as far as geology goes. Uh, which you know, we're still talking in in the millions of years. But what happened was you, you had lava flows, uh, which were quite extensive but quite far apart in time. So it allowed organic matter to grow on the last layer of lava that had been spat up before then getting smushed into the next layer of lava, uh, giving us organic matter buried under rock at high pressure, (gasps) giving us oil, uh, coal, uh, coal in the Faroes, which apparently is still mined to this day Mm. uh, in a place called the Prestfjall Formation. It's the only non-volcanic sedimentary formation of the islands. It's up to 15 metres thick, and there's a a small coal mine still there, as far as I know, uh, south of the village of Havalba. Halba, maybe Halba. We we should probably uh, we should probably say at this point Uh, that uh, you know apologies to anybody from the Faroes who might be listening to this. Uh, Our pronunciations. We're we're gonna do the best with our pronunciations, but uh, yeah, we've we've yeah. 
we discussed before this episode that the, the words usually are not pronounced anything like they look on paper. So No, uh, I blame their writing system. They, they, they're written hmm. like, you know, you look at, say, the, you said the capital to start, Luke. Torsan. Now, Torsan. Yeah. But it's written T-O-R-S-H-A-V-N, which is clearly like Thor's haven. Yeah. And they've just yes. given, in Norse or in Icelandic, it would be something more like that. And they've just given up on most of the letters. Um, so I don't know why they write it like they do, but we're struggling. Yeah. We'll do our best. Uh, and, and our best will probably be terrible. Slightly ironically, we'll find out later on that the, the Faroese have not given up on letters and there's still a very extensive postal service that goes to hey. all hey. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> this is a good connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, I was just talking about, a little bit about the geology, but geology is, is just one of the many strange links between the Faroes and Ireland that I think we're going to encounter. The counties of Antrim and Down in Ulster form part of a common band of, of basalt that goes from Giant's Causeway uh, in, in, in Antrim through to a few speckles across Scotland and all the way to the Faroes and onto Iceland as well. What? It's kind of a, a sort of a spattering of basalt all around this kind of uh, uh, maritime nexus, hmm. uh, I, I, I would say. Hmm. So uh, one other thing to mention about Faroe ge- geology uh, is that their current position uh, is on an area which is known as the Faroe Rockall Plateau. And for those of you that are not sad, broken down nerds like us, Rockall is a 17 meter high, 28 meter by 28 meter rock in the North Atlantic that the greedy Brits, courageous Irish, and also somewhat neutral Faroese uh, have been in a diplomatic tussle about. Uh, as they all fancy their chances of using it as a way to kind of substantiate claims on what they assume must be lovely gas fields nearby. Right. Um, Rockall is uh, somewhat of a symbol of kind of the shamelessness of territory grabbing nationalism, due yeah. in part to its like comical inhospitality. Inhospi- uh, <laughs> inhospitability. I have for sure heard uh, the Irish invasion of Rockall argued for in spittle-flecked, uh, if somewhat tongue-in-cheek terms, uh, and I've definitely heard the same uh, in in Britain. There's actually a, a, a parody song by a, a group called uh, Flanders and Swan from years and years ago, which mocked its inhospitability via their song Rockall. The fleet set sail for Rockall, Rockall, Rockall. To free the Isle of Rockall, from fear of far and far, we sped across the planet to find this lump of granite, one rather startled gannet. In fact, we found Rockall. Where they basically pronounce Rockall uh, like f**k'all. Because that's what's there. Um, okay. So, do, do you see the rude joke they made there, guys? I do. I they do made see it, the making it sound rude. Uh, I would recommend their song about Russian hippopotami, by the way. Anyway, uh, the pharaohs are not as inhospitable as Rockall, but are definitely in the same kind of bracket of, yeah. of very exposed North Atlantic, ferocious coastal islands. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're familiar with my homeland, uh, the Kerry coast, uh, around Dingle and, and, and so on, think that kind of wild Atlantic landscape, but spikier. And just looking through the images, the thing that really struck... No trees. Well, 
I was gonna say very Minecrafty. It's just very oh. like it all looks a bit dreamlike. Yeah. And the grass is very green, and there's no it's trees. Very very thick. yeah. There are no trees, yeah. which is is kind of weird. There's a really famous picture of like a a waterfall falling into the sea. Yeah. Uh, which, which I saw a lot, which is really, a uh, really. There's amazing. also a, a picture. We'll, we'll link to these in the in the show notes. But there's also a picture, a very famous picture of a, a lake. I can't remember. I can't have think of the name of it right now. But it's a lake that basically juts up against a, a cliff edge, which then falls away into the sea. Oh, which also looks like something out of yeah, a fairy tale. Yeah, that's, that's the one. Yeah, yeah it's. Uh, I, I mean, I Google image the place and uh, like searched on Reddit and stuff. Most of the. Most of the posts that come up for the, for the Faroe Islands on Reddit are from the Earth Porn subreddit uh, because there are just some stunning right. pictures of this place. It, it is it is really beautiful in its in its own weird way. I know it's a man made part of the landscape, like the the thing they do putting like sods of turf and grass on the roofs of the houses adds yeah. to the sort of um, hobbity feel of. Uh, <laughs> um, the, 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 these are the places where 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 J.R.R. Tolkien was stealing his myths from. When he was right, and actually, um, I'm, I'm actually going to mention Tolkien in a second, actually, because the just one of the things is it, it, it's very rainy is another thing worth mentioning. Mm. They have they have lots of uh, um, uh, waterfalls and so on because they have three meters of rain a year. Wow, uh, which is uh, double the rainiest places in Ireland, which again is Kerry. Quite rainy, and yeah. I mention Kerry quite a bit because there there is a. Very strange connection between my own kind of homeland area of Ireland and mm. and the Pharaohs. So there's a guy. There was a guy, uh, Saint Brendan the Navigator. Uh, he or maybe there he, he may be entirely apocryphal. Yes, but he also may may maybe wasn't. Um, yeah. So he he was um, he's a guy who I can say has been like extensively studied. Given there are so many brigades of amateur and semi amateur historians that occupy you know every flipping square foot of pub counter space in in Kerry. Historical accounts have him being born in 484 AD in Tralee, County Kerry, my my own hometown. He his first voyage was to the Aran Islands, uh, where he founded a monastery and where Joe tended to a hungover me. Uh, oh yes, we went there. We went there for your stag party. Yeah, I quickly found myself staring over the edge of a very high cliff, Joe, which is <laughs> a classic dark horse Joe behavior, I would say. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, so uh, Brendan, while pursuing all of his, his wandering around and Jesusing, he assembled a squad of 14 to 17 fellow uh, Jesusers. Um, they loved a bit of Jesusing. They also loved a bit of rowing. The legend is, the legend is that they island hopped from Kerry in a tiny leather boat or a, a curragh um, and were perhaps the first to discover the pharaohs on their way to discovering America. North America. Apocryphal, apocryphal, apocryphal. Okay. Uh, but there, there is a really like. Uh, but every, every school kid in Ireland learns this this legend. Mm-hmm. Was it Ireland? I just assumed it was Kerry. I just assumed it was our own naval gazing stuff. Well. Oh no, we no, we we you learned that in school. The Louvre. Yeah, you have schools in the Louvre. Sorry. Uh, anyway, uh, so the, the legend is that he went over and he discovered America. You know, er, everybody discovered America before Columbus, as we all know. But what's worth mentioning is, is that like his, his the legend of Saint Brendan, the the Navigatio, was was a really famous. Uh, document and you know there's there's lots of little steps that they took on their way and mm-hmm. uh, you know in some ways it's an allegory about ascending to hell and coming back and all these kinds of things and uh, at the same time uh, there are elements of it that are very famous particularly the the legend part of uh, them 
I believe on Easter, climbing out onto this island that they found. There was a blessing. It was Easter. Way we found some land, and we're gonna get out. Yeah. And they lit a fire. And they had some mass. And then, oh no, it's a whale! Yeah, back in the boat, lads. The the island's sinking because it's a whale. Yes, stupid yeah. idiots. <laughs> um, anyway, there's lots of little scrapes. They get into scrapes. It's very famous five uh, stuff. It, obviously, all just legendary hoo ha, uh, except. That people have really examined the possibility that he got to North America, including a guy called Tim Severn, who uh, you know, we, we, we all learned about, um, who took this whole thing pretty, pretty seriously. When you think about it, kind of mad, Tim. Probably, I don't know, was he, was he drinking at lunch or something? He, he really got himself into a... Into, into a path here. So he basically kitted out a curric, as was described by St. Brendan, and sailed to North America. To prove it could be done. To, to show it could be done, exactly. Yeah. And he also stopped off in the Pharaohs, as Brendan was supposed to. Uh, when people look at the accounts of Brendan and they could think, like, okay, which, bar, which part of his journey was the Pharaohs? It was the Sheep Island. That he got to this uh, island and there was loads and loads of sheep there. And what's interesting about that is that, okay, if there were sheep there, how did the sheep get there? <laughs> did the sheep swim? No. Which suggests that potentially, you know, if Brendan discovered it, if he was even there, he didn't discover it because somebody else had been there before mm. and left out some sheep out of their boat. So anyway, the, the whole Brendan thing is, you know, maybe apocryphal and so mm. on. But it is, it's possible that he did it. And it's interesting if he did. Uh, I'm also, I have to say, bound to plug... Um, the, the walking route known as the Kerry Camino that mm-hmm. Brendan is said to have uh, taken where he launched his boat out to, to the Salty Never Never uh, that some uh, unspecified close relative of mine may or may not be involved with the promotion of uh, <laughs> info at kerrycamino.com uh, my, my 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 good deed uh, my Mother's Day gift has, has just been right. there for uh, the unspecified uh, relative exactly um, yeah. but uh, anyway yeah so St. Brendan uh, possibly discovered the pharaohs more likely possibly went there yeah. ever. And the, the name Pharaohs actually is, is from the Old Norse for sheep. I yeah. We said well, that. Well, there you I go. think we mentioned that but in the intro. That's yeah. Point yeah. proved. It's, it's called Sheep yes. Island. Uh, yeah. <laughs> point proved, guys. Anyway, that's St. Anyway. Brendan. Okay. That's a, that's a good segue mentioning Irish uh, pilgrims or Irish monks because uh, I'm going to talk about the early settlements on the on the pharaohs. Yes. For quite a number of years, it was believed that the first settlers on the pharaohs were Norse, uh, were Vikings, but um, mm-hmm. pretty recent discoveries actually in around 2013 uh, have uncovered that, uh, conclusively uncovered that uh, the Vikings were not the first people there, or at least were not uh, the earliest settlers on the pharaohs. These archaeologists from Durham University in 2013 discovered evidence that people were living on at least one of the islands That's enough. at some yeah. point between the 4th and 6th centuries AD. So they're too early to be um, actual proper Vikings uh, as we know them. The teams found small patches of peat ash mixed with small bits of burnt bone and carbonized barley grain on Sandoy, which is the second southernmost of the main island group. Mm-hmm. And one of the principal uh, researchers there, a guy called Dr. Mike Church, said uh, there is now firm archaeological evidence for the human colonization of the pharaohs by by people some 300 to 500 years before the large-scale Viking colonization of the 9th century AD, although we don't yet know who these people were or where they came from. Hmm. Uh, so <clears throat> I think the strongest possibility... Ireland. They came from Ireland. Yeah, I mean, Ireland. I think the strongest possibility, or at least most of the theories that I read, uh, said that these were Irish uh, hermit monks. We'll claim it. Uh, 
either from mm-hmm. Ireland or possibly from Northern Scotland, but we're going to claim Ireland. Well, and also the Northern Scottish monks were usually, th- those monasteries were set up by Irish people. Yeah. So we'll just claim right. everything. Yeah. I- Iona and the like. Every- everyone living on a random isolated rock was probably a super holy Irish guy yeah. looking to get yeah. away from it all. Um, yeah. So they were, yeah, as you mentioned, Joe, I think they were almost certainly seeking solitude. Good choice. Their party was wrecked by the Vikings uh, a couple hundred years later. Um <laughs> Hushing our buzz, man. We came here to get away from everyone and suddenly there's, there's Vikings everywhere. Uh, not cool, man. Pretty much all we learned in school about Vikings was that they came and they raided monasteries. Yep. So, like, that fits with my very small amount of uh, childhood knowledge of horned helmet guys who didn't exist. Exactly. Was, was it just my kind of Protestant uh, upbringing which kind of... Uh, Left that out. Well, no, it wasn't so much that. <laughs> no. <laughs> the, 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 the pre-Lutheran Vikings coming in and uh, liberating the uh, the Catholic uh, iconography. No, I was actually more thinking, of the two, would you be prefer to be some like guy with a, a circle cut into his head, his head hair, ah. cowering in a tower with an old chalice or cool sexy vikings cutting off people's legs <laughs> vikings all the way it, it, to me, i didn't have a lot of sympathy for the tower cowers round towers were used in, in these days to to kind of keep people's treasures and they, they'd pull up the ladder after them like that had do anything <laughs> all right vikings can make ladders they've never heard of ladders for for any any monks who might be listening uh mark's views do not re- necessarily <laughs> reflect the views of the podcast um we're a, we're an equal opportunities podcast. Back and slash baby. <laughs> um All right, so another early uh, legendary settler of the pharaohs and uh the one who was believed to have been the first to resettle the islands after these early monks uh was a guy called Grimor Kamban and it's said that he was possibly fleeing the first king of Norway, uh Harald the 1st aka Harald Fairhair or Finehair. Hmm who's uh who apparently was fond of his hair <laughs> whose conquests had formed had uh had forced many prominent chiefs to flee for the british isles but uh the dates here might not match up as harold uh did come to power after the pharaohs were first settled so uh but in any case yeah. it's all a bit oral history it's all a bit muddled but yeah i mean um i think i read two versions where it's possible that a lot of people joined him on the pharaohs uh who were expelled yeah. by harold that seems that seems that seems more true. more likely, yeah. Um, but this Grimmer guy turns up in a couple of different documents at a couple of different dates. Yes. So he, he always gets the name, but yeah. he can't be the same person. Yeah, so he's sort of seen as, uh, I guess you could say, like a, a sort of a founding father or something like that. Like one of these mm. one of these kind of, um, you know, guys that appears on stamps and, and in paintings nowadays and this sort of thing. Yes. He arrived sometime in 825 AD and uh, is believed to be Norwegian. And what's a Norway? You know? Yeah, but actually yeah. The, 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 the second name, Kamban. The, Joe, you're, you know, the, the Kamban thing really interested me. Yeah, you're the Irish expert here, Joe, the Irish language expert. Um, it, I believe into Irish it translates as... What they claim is that, like, despite this guy always being claimed as a, as a Norseman, uh, the surname Kamban is almost definitely... Irish. Celtic. Yeah. Uh, Kaum means kind of crooked or bent, uh, as is seen in names like Cameron, which means bent nose, and uh, Campbell, which means bent mouth. Oh, right. Common Scottish surnames. Um, so, bent woman? Camban? N- no, probably closer to Camban. Bent stick, maybe? Like like a, a come on is, is what we call the stick you play hurling with. 
Are they making a rude joke, guys? <laughs> <laughs> ben, green or Ben stick, yeah. <laughs> who knows? It's possible. He had, a, he had a bit of an angle to it. Yeah. That's all we're saying. Who, who knows? But we, we uh, know from our, our Isle of Man episode that like there were plenty of, of Norsemen uh, living in Dublin, in Scotland, in the Hebrides, in Orkney. For sure. Uh, the Isle of Man, like they were founding cities and, and settlements oh, yeah. all over the, the Celtic world and picking up Celtic names as they went and picking up Celtic languages. Sure. So it's probably more likely that if there was a Grimmer Kanban, he would have been coming from the south. Yeah, for sure. But in any case, he led the first full-scale settlement of the pharaohs sometime mm-hmm. between the 9th and 10th centuries. And the settlers who came along with him brought the language of Old West Norse, which would later evolve into the modern Faroese language, which we've already we've already talked about, is uh, damn near un- unintelligible yep. to our uh, yeah our English speaking ears. Um, but uh, interestingly, the monks that predated the Norse settlers did have some influence on the language uh, because there are some Faroese words, uh, even the last to to this day. That are clearly related to uh, Gaelic or Celtic languages. Um, I I don't know if you had mm. any examples of those, Joe. But the, there was definitely uh, the the word for hand is very connected to the Irish word love, that kind of thing. I think it's like lamba or something. Okay. But the, the, like a consistent feature of the the history of this place is how like these were boat people. You know, they they were constantly moving between. In the modern world, we often think of places being connected by land. Like where can you drive to? But in the pre-modern era being able to get in a boat and go somewhere meant you were connected. Mm-hmm. So they were connected to all their neighbours very, very actively throughout the centuries that follow. They were connected to Norway and Denmark and Ireland and Scotland. And so language and people going back and forth was routine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then the last note that I have here is that around 900 AD, uh, the Faroese Alting, mm-hmm. I think it's how you, how it's pronounced, although it could be, I don't know, it could be pronounced Biscuit. I have no idea. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it's founded. It's the the one of the oldest existing parliaments in the world. Although I I do believe it was dissolved at some point in the eighteen hundreds briefly, but uh, yeah, it's it's still ongoing now. So if you if you discount that that hiatus in the eighteen hundreds, it's one of the oldest parliaments that still exists. So competing with the Icelandic old thing and the the Manx, the Manx, oh, yeah, yeah, we talked the, about that. Just the Ting, I think. Tinwald, yes, right. Yeah. But yeah, Vikings were big on parliaments. Yeah. <laughs> Or assemblies, should we say. Yeah. Okay, let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back uh, mm-hmm. with some pre-14th century history. So just for this break, we're going to have, instead of music, we're going to have a reading of a poem by one J.R.R. Tolkien uh, called The Death of St. Brendan. Wow, highly irregular. Sounds great. We sailed then on till the wind had failed. And we toiled then with the oar and hunger and thirst was sorely wrung and we sang our psalms no more. A land at last with silver strand at the end of strength we found. The waves were singing in pillared caves and pearls lay on the ground and steep the shores went upward leaping to slopes of green and gold and a stream out of the rich land teeming through a coombe of shadow road. Nice. 
All right. Uh, so, Joe, I believe you're going to talk to talk about some pre-14th century history. Is that right? Yes. And I'd just like to drop in here a clip from Arnie telling us where he comes from, because it's relevant to the story I'm going to tell. Great. Oh, yes. I live in a town called Goethe, and we are very proud of being the uh, the place where uh, one of the most famous Vikings in the Pharaohs is featured in the sagas, you know, uh, called Trundur Goethe. He lived here a thousand years ago. Okay. And uh, uh, actually, my, my parents' house is right next to where he's said to have lived. Excellent. He was apparently the grandson of a Norwegian, or a, a sort of a Norse princess whose father ruled Dublin back in the day. Yeah. So, Arne comes from Goethe, which means gate, uh, named after a guy called Gatebeard, uh, <laughs> Thorbjorn Gatebeard. And most of what I'm going to talk about in this section is from the Feringa Saga, which is uh, one of these Norse sagas, probably written by Icelandic monks about two centuries after the events, and with a clear uh, pro-Christian, anti-heathen bias. And with that in mind, it starts around 970, the narrative, and the chief kind of antagonist is uh, Trondur, who is from Gate. And the chief protagonist, I would say, though it's kind of not necessarily a good versus evil story, it's more everyone occasionally murdering each other and then looking for compensation story. Uh, but his his cousin's son, Sigmundr, is probably the, the, the good guy, for want of a better word, in this story. Okay. So, um, the saga describes Trondr in, in a lot of detail. You know, he was a man of big growth. He was red-haired, red-bearded, freckled, and grim of look. And I, I found some uh, article saying that these were quite common in Faroese. Big growth? Well, like tall. He was. Oh, right. I, th- I thought it was just like he appears small, but, you know, if required, no. he can grow sufficiently. In case no. anyone's asking. Just in case no. anybody got the no. wrong idea. It's cold up there. Um, and so, yeah, these features are said to be quite common. And, and he is said, said to be descended from Thorsten the Red's daughter. Thorsten the Red being a king of Dublin, a Viking king of Dublin. So there's All kind right. of a a look that's related to this um, Irish Irish Norse heritage. And just to, to kind of come back to the Tolkien thing, like I, I read an English translation of, of this saga from the early 1900s. And like the language they use is like... 100% you know J.R.R. Tolkien style of writing because he read these sagas that's you're probably the the most recent person to have read it since Tolkien Joe maybe but like all of the trolls and the and the elves and stuff that's all Norse um, material that he reimagined in an English context yeah he was he was very heavy into into uh, particularly I think uh, Norse mythology from what I from what I know of the mm. The background to Lord of the Rings. I mean, that's and Anglo-Saxon. He, he, like th- there is there is a the death of Saint Brendan by J.R.R. Tolkien. Like he mm. he, yeah, he right. was writing specifically about about these these kinds of legends. Yeah, um, yeah. There's just kind of these wonderful casual phrases hearing about it when 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 Throndor's father dies. It's like he was buried in a barrow in the old way. For in those days, all the fairy folk were heathens. Okay, thanks. <laughs> it's a bit loaded. Cheers. Um, yeah. And so Throndor becomes basically lord of half of the the Faroe Islands at this stage, essentially. He then went off travelling to Norway and Denmark, where the king was Harald Bluetooth. 
Ah. You might remember <laughs> from his, uh, his, his swift communication technology between devices. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Fr- Frederick Wi-Fi was his nemesis, of course. <laughs> which is legitimately like is named after... It's named uh, after him, right? Is it Ericsson? Is it Ericsson invented Bluetooth? Yeah, I think so. What the what? Yeah, no, the, 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 the technology oh is named God. after this guy, isn't that right? Yeah, and the, the symbol is the two Nordic ruins for, uh, for B and T. That's deadly. I had no idea about that. Unless you'd already told me. <laughs> Maybe I did. Yeah. The idea was he, he, he made communication easier between Denmark and Norway by conquering Norway. It was apparently the, the analogy <laughs> they were going for. Oh, God. Um, oh, Jesus. Uh, Stalin really opened up communications with Poland when he... Oh, oh Jesus. Got to to fire up my Stalin headset. Um, yeah. Doesn't quite have the same ring to it. Um, as I said, kind of striking how much these guys travelled. You know, this is just like, oh, yeah, he turned 20, he went off to fight in mm. some war, or went to a meeting to trade in Copenhagen or whatever. And so he comes into a lot of money in a way I didn't fully understand, um, but I think <laughs> was legit. Like yeah, maybe you're not meant someone to. Someone <laughs> asked him to mine their silver and then they left and then he got to bring yeah. the silver home. I don't really, I don't know. I don't really follow the customs. Um, however, could I give you a quick quiz on some words that I encountered over and over again in the saga? That, Absolutely. Okay. So in the context of of uh, being a being a Viking lord, what is a Scot? Um. Yeah. A peasant. T- ten dead Scots is a good start or something? I don't know. I'm trying to think of the, the joke version. <laughs> Got quite dark pretty fast. Um, so apparently this is the sort of the, not rent, but, you know, the tribute you pay to your, the king okay. you decided is your king. was called the Scot, so like a percentage of oh, okay. the grain or whatever. Like a tithe. All right. There's a lot of problems with Scots later. You're telling uh, me. Not the, not, the, not the ones who wear kilts. I'm sorry about my earlier comment, guys. I, I, I like Scotland. Please let me know. <laughs> <laughs> and then what? What? Uh, this one took me by surprise. What does sackless mean? Ooh. I mean, there's, a, there's an obvious answer. Is, this, is it the obvious answer? Is it like a, like a eunuch or something? Uh, or I, I'm, I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess. Um, uh, grain goes in sacks. Grain is, is valuable as currency. Uh, being like bankrupt. They're having no money. Good, but it's not the one. Okay. Uh, having no testicles. Uh, <laughs> going for the one that I, you know, I just assumed. Uh, no, no, no. That, that, see, that, that's what confused me. Is kind of, why did he keep talking about how bad it is to kill a sackless man? Is this a problem that they... <laughs> they got enough going on. They don't need this. Yeah. So uh, it's, tough, it's apparently an old kind of archaic word for, for blameless, which is only used in translating sagas. Okay. Into English. You know how sake... In English, kind of means, oh, you know, for 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 God's sake or for my country's sake, it's sort of the cause of so you know a, yeah. a legal cause, right? Okay. And then the final one uh, is Wergeld. Oof. Uh, Wergeld. I'm I'm thinking more like some kind of. Uh, a coastal banshee. That's what I'm thinking. Uh, okay, so I'll give you a hint that the werewolf, the were and werewolf means man in Old so English. So it's something like man money? Yeah, so, so man price. And in the legal uh, ah. system used in in most of the, the Nordic world, most of the Germanic world uh, before Christianity in particular, murder was punishable by paying for the person you've denied the family you know oh right. of course yeah you killed our father now he can't fight for us or farms so you you paid a certain amount of silver or whatever it was yeah okay ah, yeah yeah 
and then the, the matter was considered settled. So that again is a, a big feature of all these disputes. Is when someone gets killed and they won't pay the they won't pay the wergeld, then there's a problem. The man price. Yeah. Anyway, so Thrander, <laughs> gloomy of mind, cunning, shrewd towards all men, bad to deal with, and ill-natured to most folk. Sounds cool. Yet fair of speech to greater men than himself. But in his heart was ever false. Uh, so, I mean, it sounds a bit harsh, but then the first big thing Thrunder does when he is an adult ruling half of the islands is helps his friend Halfgrim uh, murder his cousins, uh, Breston and Boehner, Okay. for uh, a payoff of like two cows a year forever. All right. So he does seem a bit, you know. It's a pretty low man price, I'll tell you that. Yeah. The, the the brothers were, they lived in Scoofy and were sort of the lords of the other half of the islands. So that's part of why there was a bit of... And then he was like, we should also kill their sons. Uh, yes. Sigmund <laughs> right. Sigmund and Thora. And because uh, they'll just be trouble if they grow up. Uh, you're, you're okay there. That's insane. They just killed these two brothers. He doesn't know. Uh... Let's kill their sons. <laughs> and so what do we do next? Kill their kids? So, uh, so he wanted to kill their sons, and then one of their co-conspirators went, "Ah, now could we oh, not kill the children? Like, come on." Okay. <laughs> Which I think is a legitimate point of view. Um, and so Thronda goes, "Okay, I won't kill the children." He takes them home to to Goethe, and then uh, a merchant from Norway comes, and he's like, "Hey, I've got some slaves I'd like to sell you." Oh, jeez. <laughs> and the merchant is like these are clearly like well got kids these aren't slaves what's the deal he's like okay okay they're like they're my cousin's children I can't murder them how much will you give me for them and the, the merchant's like I'm gonna take these <laughs> and raise them in Norway because you seem to be right, terrible right okay um, not take them as slaves no no he just took them he's like I'll just I'll just take the nice children and not kill them and not buy them I'll just Boo. take them to Norway where you're not right. there <laughs> so you know um, merchant seems like a good skin uh, what are we doing after lunch guys oh, maybe we can give those guys kids <laughs> or maybe we'll just sell them into slavery yeah, so the boys, boys grew up in Norway and they became strong and noble and were Ruh-roh. all great because it's a saga and uh, and the, the the most important one is, is Sigmunder. So Sig, Sigmunder Brestison is the the better of the two. The other kid always just is there, you know. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, they're they're inseparable, but the second guy is sort of less important. <laughs> he is the uh, Neville Neville Longbottom of this story. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. They ingratiated themselves to the 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 de facto king of Norway. So Norway was ruled by Bluetooth, but a guy called Earl Hakon was sort of the the day-to-day king. Uh, and they asked for help at revenge. Uh, Sigmund said he, he he was most fain to go on a Viking cruise and get there by some good report before men, or else death. So Sigmund was pretty hardcore. And so in 983, after various adventures that really aren't that interesting, they're just stealing, kind of glorified, glorified stealing, <laughs> uh, but that was as was the style at yes. the time uh, uh, in 983 Sigmundr returns to the pharaohs and goes on a bit of a a bit of a a bit of a slaughter he's back with a vengeance of uh, many of those responsible for his father's death right um, with the blessing of of Earl Hakon of Norway 
He can't get to Trondor due to the bad weather, which is a recurring theme in a lot of these stories. Uh, you know, it's just like, there's a storm for the next month. It's like, ah, right. damn it, I can't land and murder my uncle. Okay. So they both agreed to go to Norway for the king to adjudicate the price of his treachery, so the, the, the man price. The Weregeld. Yeah. yeah, the Weregeld. Um, Trondor, of course, never shows up because he's, he's sneaky uh, like that. Treacherous. And so the king says to Sigmund, right, you can just have the whole archipelago there for yourself. That's the price. Jeez. Um, yeah, it's turned out well. Sweet. Then King Olaf I conquers Norway, uh, killing killing Sigmund's buddy, the Earl. Uh, he's super Christianizy. Oh, no. He, he, he'd he seen the world. So, so oh, Olaf right. had been kicked out of Sweden, hung out in Estonia for a bit, went to the Holy Roman Empire, led some armies from the Holy Roman Empire to force Bluetooth to become a Christian. Uh, married the sister of the King of Dublin and hung out in Dublin for a while. All right. And um, kind of was keeping an eye on popularity, like on, on I suppose, opinion polls on Hakon back home. The old Gallop. Yeah. yeah. And um, he, he had a thing for like kidnapping and uh, like turning into concubines, the daughters of his, his okay. nobles. Uh, right. Apparently he was legally entitled to have anyone it's, he wanted, which is unpleasant. Yeah, but uh, weirdly, his, oh, his uh, vassals didn't really appreciate. Well, it. then it's not creepy at all. No, no, it is. It is. Uh, what a horrifying time. No, read the small print. I'm taking your kids. Yeah. Uh, so it's this weird moment when you're reading the story and you're like, "Oh, Hakon seems like a good guy," and they're like, "Oh, actually, no, he's a serial rapist." And and as you might expect, cool. he stole all their children. Good. Yep. Okay. So Olaf conquers Norway and uh, Sigmund was very quick to go okay cool uh, I'll be your guy too um, fair enough wow and uh, goes Christian because his boss says have you heard of Jesus and he's like it's so hot right now I hadn't heard of Jesus and he's like well Jesus is great and he's like okay I mean the old gods never did much for me so what do I need to do he's like here's, here's some water forget about bluetooth what about this Jesus guy wait 5 5G says <laughs> 5 Jesus yeah, <laughs> you, need, like, you need to get some five Jesus. Forget <laughs> <laughs> <it> about Bluetooth. <laughs> so around a thousand, uh, Sigmundur returns to the Pharaohs uh, with his new faith and tells the all thing that they will all be Christians and um, and they're not sure. Uh, they're happy enough with with Olaf as king, but they're like, eh, we do like sacrificing goats to to Odin or whatever. Whatever you do, I don't really know much about. Whatever it is that you guys do. What your Sunday services look like in Pagan. Um, and Trondor, of course, whips up dissent among the heavily armed free men participating in the in the moot or in the, the thing. <laughs> Anybody want to go kill someone's kids? Kill <laughs> <laughs> <Little> Trondor. <laughs> there was one time I didn't kill a guy's kids and it's really come back to bite me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just not making that mistake again. Uh, and so uh, Sigmundur kind of backs down and sort of tables the motion like, well I'll leave you think about the old Christianity business um, for the for the winter and we'll all go and live in our islands isolated by storms and have a think about whether Jesus is the way to go and uh, we'll talk about it next summer okay yeah so he feels a bit hard done by because he didn't get his way despite being head man and so later that year he presumably there was a slight reprieve in the storms and he uh, arrived unannounced at Goethe uh, by night with like dozens of armed men and uh, basically offered Thrunder baptism or beheading option. Uh, right. 
I mean, <laughs> and uh, Tronder kind oh, of God. went for the baptism, uh, weirdly. Yep. And there he just kind of goes around the islands, kind of forcibly baptizing everyone. And then later, the 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 old thing, the next meeting of the old thing, everyone's like, <laughs> "Yes, this is good. We are we are gladly Christians. Please don't kill us. Uh, Line so up. That happened. And then you get these continued fights in Tronder's northern grouping of sort of, I don't know, old fashioned folk and Sigmunder's kind of modernism, modernist southern holdings, and eventually Tronder, obviously Tronder, tries to kill him. Um, because of course he does. They burn down Sigmund's house. He escapes through a tunnel, and uh, he escapes with his with his cousin, who who again just is with him. And they try to swim to the nearest island, and his cousin drowns. Great. And he makes it onto the island, and he's really tired. And then a guy called uh, Thorgrimmer the Wicked kills him. Um, <laughs> good name. He just kind of sees him. He's got a big gold bracelet on. He's like, I'd like that, and he kills him. Uh, in Sandvik, where I think there's still a memorial to him. Oh, some Deagle Smeagol stuff, guys. It's all, mm. it's all coming back to Tolkien. Yeah, yeah, the, the precious ring. Um, and then later on, Torgrimmer was punished by by Trondor for killing the guy Trondor wanted to kill. Come on. Yeah, he's jerk like, but moves. you did it illegally. Like, I had a reason oh, to kill him. Oh, what a jerk. <laughs> I, I'm getting the impression this Trondor guy just, just likes to, you know, beat people and, you know, maim people and kill people. <laughs> Is anybody else getting this impression? He's no? a bit killy. Is this, is this yes. narrative slightly too heavy-handed, yes. maybe? He's definitely the villain. Yeah. He's definitely the villain of this Christian authored saga. Right. Hey, he won. Okay. <laughs> he got him in the end. So temporarily, temporarily he wins. Um, Olaf is, is, is really struggling to collect Scott from the islands. He'd send out boats and it all somehow get shipwrecked somewhere and never come back for like a series of years. Eventually, he sends this mighty Viking warrior, Carl of Mira, to collect the tax. Mighty Carl, the tax collector. Well done, Carl. And he gets he gets killed. Wow. Because uh, basically, Sigmunder was good at sending the tax, but uh, Thrander, less keen. <laughs> and, I like um, Thrander, guys. I'm, 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 I'm all in on Thrander. I feel Trondor. like there's a Disney movie in this guy. <laughs> I don't want to pay my taxes. <laughs> I do want to kill all the kids. Yeah. Thoughts. <laughs> Remarks. So in 1035, Throndor eventually dies. No. He's um, noted as the, the last Viking chieftain of the pharaohs. And he is replaced by, let me see if I can get this straight. So Sigmunder, our sort of good guy who, who drowned. His widow, okay. Thorid Torkelsdottir, known as the Mighty Widow. Good. She married a guy called Liefer Osserson, who was another relative. And... Leifer becomes the Christian autocrat of the islands and basically... Leifer, I just met her. What? (laughs) (laughs) And he gives the islands to the Norwegian government and says, here you go, I'm yours. And you're mine. No, no, I'm yours. Just, I'm yours. And the Viking Age is over. Um, And I've seen some arguments that like it was kind of a republic before this Mm. because they had their sort of regular meetings of all the head men. But uh, I don't know. I'm not sure Trondor would have uh, agreed with that. Yeah. I mean, a republic like Rome was a republic where like 10 families get to vote. (laughs) Some voting went on. Not not quite the same. And then the saga ends around the era of King Olaf II, who's known as Saint Olaf. And uh, I just thought we should mention that his feast day is the main feast in the Pharaohs. And um, Arnie 
had something to say about about oh, yes. how they oh, celebrate yes. that, yeah. which uh, which sounds quite nice. There is a national day, as you mentioned, just called Olavsvika in Faroese. It just means Saint or Saint Olaf's Wake. His death day is commemorated, you know, as a religious feast originally, but it's you know it's it's, it's quite quite heathen. Okay, <laughs> uh, yeah, if, if you know what I mean. What happens is that, that's the twenty twenty seventh twenty eighth of of July. Sorry, where uh, you know this being such a small place. Uh, a sizable percentage of the Faroese population goes to the capital of uh, Taosaun, it's called, where uh, there are all, all, all sorts of cultural events taking place. But also, I think this is the main thing, is that people sort of just walk up and down uh, the city centre Taosaun and just say hello to each other. A lot of the people that live in Taosaun open up their homes, you know, they serve traditional Faroese oh, foods. Cool. And, you know, right. people uh, just connect with each other. At midnight, uh, there's a, a, a huge sort of singing uh, thing where people get together and sing, you know, traditional Faroe songs. And, yeah, it's like 10,000 people together just singing. Uh, it's, it's quite a special thing. And uh, that's, yeah, that's the national holiday. And I think that's right. one thing that sets us apart. And then just to, to bring us to the end of this section... There was another significant Norse figure who had a bit of connection to the pharaohs, King Sverre of Norway, whose, well, he thought it was his father was was a Faroese guy, but then later he claimed to be the son of the previous king of Norway, the illegitimate son of the previous king of Norway, in order to become the king of Norway. So I don't really quite follow when he figured out he wasn't uh, Faroese, but he grew up there from the age of five All right. um, because his mother Gunhild brought him there. And uh, then he decided he was someone else's son so he could be king. And um, he, he did that. And he outlawed slavery in t- 1200, which is nice. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he also tried to become a, a priest briefly because his uh, his uncle was a bishop. Great. And uh, it wasn't for him. He was more about the, the warring and the killing. Good. Uh, then in 1270, King Magnus Lagerbote brings in a new legal system called the Lands Law for the whole of of uh, Norway, including including the pharaohs, and I think including Denmark. I think Norway owned Denmark at this point. Um, and so the whole thing becomes just a sort of a kind of a court more than a parliament, having done both jobs up till now. And then in 1298, a, a document called the Sheep Letter becomes law, <laughs> which was the first constitutional document okay. about the Faroe Islands. Sheep, 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 sheep. Uh, and it removed lots of power from the the thing and sent it to the king. The thing being the, the owl thing. The yeah, okay. The parliament, uh, not just the thing. Uh, and it mostly deals with sheep-related matters. The thing says that we should love sheep. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, king? The king thinks you should love king, yeah. all right? King's should we specific. listen to king or thing? Um, anyway, so the sheep letter mostly deals with sheep. Um, Big surprise. But it also regulates slavery and uh, some stuff about hospitality laws and how you have to like feed people who are in your house. <laughs> Hotels, and, sheep, and, and not slavery. kill their children. Oh, uh, boo, boo. And then there's some some stuff to do with whales and, uh, oh. and, and flotsam and jetsam and stuff and who owns what. So, yeah, we're now sort of under the thumb firmly of Norway and no longer Vikings. All right. Uh, and so I thought, Luke, for the music break here... If, if it's okay with you, we might use um, 
some some of the alleged words of of Thrunder Agatha, uh, set to music by by folk metal group Tear, which is the, the who Tuesday is named after that that god that Norse right. god, and I think what they've done is taken a like a nineteenth-century poem by Janus Sturhus of what Trondor might have said while cursing the Christians and made a metal song out of it. So uh, that might go Excellent. well here. I'm always down for uh, Norse heavy metal. <laughs> All right, so Mark, your next section. What do you What do you want to tell us about? So, just starting uh, a little bit about Christianity. Um, some of the very earliest cathedrals on the Faroes date back from the 1200s and the 1300s, uh, including the Magnus Cathedral, uh, the building of which was begun sometime around uh, 1300 AD and is still there to be seen today. Cool. They never managed to build a roof on it for some reason. I don't know why they never got around it to seems that. seems like a uh, And nowadays they're actually trying to preserve it uh, from the winds and from the salty air and so on, but... Um, considering that they haven't put a roof on it ever, it's actually in remarkably good shape. So I'd, I'd recommend uh, checking out a photo of that. Um, and there's an even older church at Kirkubo, Kirkube, Kirkube, uh, at Olivskirchen, uh, and that is still in use today. So uh, 1349, flash forward a little bit, uh, we have the Black Death, which also reached the Faroe Islands as well as mainland Europe. It killed approximately a third of the population. So we're talking about 1,000 out of the 3,000 people there Ouch. potentially died. Exactly. Um, the pharaohs were banned from trading with the Hanseatic League around this time. Um, and the Hanseatic League were the main competitor to the Scandinavian kingdoms. Ah. This is why they were banned from trading. Okay. Uh, the Hanseatic League were one of the two super teams I mentioned at the top of the show. Um, and they were essentially what is now Belgium, the Netherlands, northern Germany, and uh, little bits of northern Poland. So sort of coastal German-speaking places. As a result of this Hanseatic League, in 1380, the crowns of Norway and Denmark were united in something called the Kalmar Union, mm. which was meant to be a counter-super team to these Hansa people. Um Specifically, Queen Margaret I was kind of the person who pulled it all together. Um, she had been the product of the kind of mad, feudal, horse trading of the Middle Ages of, uh, of Scandinavia, um, marrying off infant daughters and hostages and all that kind of stuff. Um, she had been born in prison and married off for strategic advantage. She positioned herself so that her son could unite the thrones of Sweden, Norway and Denmark. Mm. Uh, but then, when little Prince Olaf died young, she took over. And for 25 years, she was bringing together Greenland, Iceland, Finland, and also, of course, the pharaohs. Uh, the pharaohs remained, however, as a possession of Norway, even within the Kalmar Union. Mm -hmm. So they were kind of in the Union, but like they were Norway, via Norway. 
Um, I mean, 2,000 people, right? Like, it's not, you know, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not a prized possession by any, by yeah. any, by any account. Um, the pharaohs belonged to the Archdiocese of Norway uh, and were part of Norwegian jurisdiction in general. In terms of administration, trade, and culture, the city of Bergen on the west coast of Norway was the most important connection, which makes sense when you look at the map. It's you know, the closest Norwegian city to, to there. Uh, even though the pharaohs are geographically probably closer to the Shetland Islands of Scotland than they are Bergen, but there you go. It's also worth maybe mentioning that when the pharaohs were getting pulled closer into the Kalmar kind of Scandinavian sphere, a part of that was actually because of a, an unscandinavian sounding guy called Henry I Sinclair, Earl of Orkney. Uh, he was a Norwegian Scottish fellow uh, who invaded um, in, invaded the pharaohs around this time. His granddad apparently switched sides from Edward I of England to Robert the Bruce of Scotland. Um, mm-hmm. And he was a Norwegian Scot, as I said, uh, who invaded in 1391, according to kiltsandmore.com. Uh, but it was, it, it was kind of invading it on behalf of Norway. I think that nobody from the mainland of Norway had invaded in a while, and they were like, let's just really make sure it's Norwegian. So he, he, he invaded as a vassal of Norway, um, and then also maybe went on a long voyage of discovery to Greenland, and uh, also maybe continued on to discover America, cool. like everybody, Who didn't? Uh, 100 years or so before Columbus. But anyway, look, he's, he's a vassal of Norway, so it doesn't really change much for the, the Faroese. Uh, the Kalmar Union would persist into the 16th century, serving its role as a, as a power block to counter the Hanseatic League. Uh, through this period, Bergen in Norway became gradually replaced by Copenhagen in Denmark in terms of the influence over the pharaohs in step with the consolidation of the powers of the Kalmar towards uh, Copenhagen. In 1524, the king of Norway and Denmark, Christian II, goes into exile He offers the Faroe Islands and Iceland to Henry VIII of England as collateral for a loan. What? (laughs) Um, As basically a deposit. Uh, Henry declines the offer, apparently. Uh, This is Henry VIII of his wives uh, and so on. Uh, the, the, The randy one who turned England Protestant. Historians believe that Henry's decision not to take the Faroe Islands, uh, actually saved the country from losing their language because the Shetlands and the Orkneys, which are both like island chains off Scotland, mm. both lost their languages around this time as a result of kind of uh, such uh, island trading, let's call it. England, not big on linguistical diversity in its... Uh, uh... Christian II's successor, Christian III, he introduces Lutheranism to the pharaohs, replacing Catholicism. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pharaoh parish uh, developed after the Reformation was introduced and uh, as I say, the Catholic bishopric was abolished and the islands were made part of the bishopric of Bergen in Norway and then gradually on to uh, Zealand or Sjaland, uh, which is the big island that Copenhagen is on. So it was basically made part of the parish of Copenhagen eventually. Um, the trade connection also moved from Bergen to Copenhagen. Commerce had in the 14th century been dominated by the Hansa before, before that had all been cut away. But then it was all exports of lovely, delicious dried fish to, to the Norwegians who were desperate for that and then because of all the sheep woolen products became more important uh to those uh woolen you know the the danes as we all know would sell their own granny for a salty lump of licorice and a woolen stocking (laughs) so they were they were desperate to get their hands on these lovely filthy woolen stockings in 1655 the islands were given as a fiefdom to a danish nobleman called christopher gabble um christopher gabble 
was granted the sole right of trading with the islands. He was a noted uh, sneaky Pete uh, and gained his influence through lots of subterfuge, which was fine until the king he was subterfuging for died. Mm. And he was pretty unpopular with the next, next crowd. And they stripped him of all his assets except for one. Uh, he managed to hold on to the pharaohs uh, despite having everything else stripped away. Uh, the pharaohs were still with him when he died and he passed it on to his son Frederick until 1709 when the crown resumed direct control. Uh, the Danish crown, that is. Um, prompted by the numerous complaints from the pharaohs during the gabble rule, uh, the Danish crown hired a commission to investigate the state of the islands who delivered a detailed report on ecclesiastic as well as civil matters. Hot, 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 guys. Uh, and the administration of justice and trade. Uh, so there was some reforms, and in 1720, they were combined into a single province with Iceland. So it was like Iceland slash the Faroes as one province of Denmark. Kind of makes sense. Uh, it kind of makes sense, yeah. But they're still, like, hundreds of miles away, so it's a bit, you know. Mm. Anyway, they remained, they remained a province with uh, Iceland for about 50 years, and then they were again incorporated into basically Copenhagen to the Zealand province. Okay. Sure, that makes even less sense. Yeah. Um, in 1774, the Faroe Royal Monopoly on Trade was combined with that of uh, Finnmark. It's my favourite board game. Yeah. Uh, Finnmark is like super northern Norway and Iceland. So there was a Royal Monopoly on Trade for North Norway, Iceland and the Faroes. Uh, and 1781, the Greenland trade was, was lumped in there as well. And... Even though the, the monopoly was abolished for Finnmark and Iceland not too long after, hmm. the royal monopoly lasted from 1774 till 1856. So for like 70, 80 years, there was a royal monopoly on all trade. In 1814, Denmark uh, were in the Napoleonic Wars and had been allied with France. They ceded Norway to Sweden. Yeah. Just take, take, take Norway. Bye-bye, Norway. But they held on to the pharaohs. I was wondering when this would happen, because like, this is how Greenland and, and Iceland end up being Danish too. Like Norway colonised them all. Yeah. Then Denmark and Norway are united, and then Denmark yeah. gets rid of Norway, but keeps all the stuff Norway colonised. It's kind of weird. D Denmark is kind of the alpha dog yeah. of the Scandinavian countries, uh, and, and it has always been thus. And weirdly, there are kind of like Scandinavian institutions, like the League of whatever, yeah. the, the Nordic Council of Ministers, for example. Um, a lot of those organizations are based in Copenhagen. Yeah. Copenhagen is the capital of Scandinavia, so far as that that, that can be. Sorry, thing. rest of Scandinavia. So through an administrative reform in 1816. Sorry, 1816, the old log ting or alting um, was abolished and the pharaohs were given the status of a Danish province. Very charming. Uh, until then, uh, as you had said, they, they were a court of appeal for yeah. civil and criminal cases and a complaints forum. They kind of been downgraded to just a Supreme Court, maybe, at best. Or not so Supreme Court. Yeah. Uh, just the only course. This person killed my son. How much does he owe me? It's like, he goes to prison now. It's like, what? Yeah. When did we bring that yeah, right. in? <laughs> exactly. 1,200. Uh, but he was a kid. We're allowed to kill kids, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, so um, they, they got rid of this and it was replaced with a guy, basically. Uh, the local representative in pharaohs of Danish central power was a guy called the Amtmand. Not Ant-Man, the Ant-Ant-Man. The office guy? The... 
the High Commission, High Commission, yeah. High, High Commission. And Denmark in 1849 became a constitutional monarchy in a bit to stave off any shooty, Bernie revolutions. Mm-hmm. Worked out well. Um, and the new constitution announced in the pharaohs in 1850. So apparently the constitution was, was brought in and then in, only announced in 1850 a year later. So somebody had to like cycle there, I guess. Rowing out on a little um, single man Kurok. <laughs> exactly. With a scroll. Uh by the way, we're now a constitutional monarchy. Don't ask what it is. It's just because I don't want to have to go back and ask and come back because it'll be another year. So anyway, the, the Faroese got two seats in the in the Riksdag or the Reichstag, in the Danish parliament. Uh, but as a part of this democratization, uh, the, the Faroese reestablish their alting or logting, as I have it, uh, as a county council, basically, with an advisory role in 1852. Right. Okay. Seems reasonable. Yeah. So... Bit, 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 bit more local representation. Uh, in 1856, commerce and industry was opened up because the royal trade monopoly was gotten rid of. So hey. it's boom times. They're selling their delicious fish. They're all buying boats called smacks, apparently. Decked smacks. There's a lot of there's a lot of weird words. Like yeah. even the pharaohs themselves. I told somebody at work, I'm I'm doing a podcast in the pharaohs this, this weekend. They're like, oh wow, exciting Egyptian. Egyptian names, like, <laughs> no, small islands with tunnels and puffins. So we, we should probably flag at this point that if you're expecting us to talk about Cleopatra at any point because of this episode being about the pharaohs, you might have been confused for the last hour or yeah. so. Uh, wrong pharaohs. <laughs> you're like, when are the pyramids yeah, going to show pharaohs. up? <laughs> Not spelled that way. I didn't know Different. about all this Northern Atlantic uh, background. But but fair play if you're still with us. Fair play. Uh, <laughs> Um, so anyway the, the, the fairies are buying and selling fish it's great times everyone's getting money sort of but there's still quite a bit of like paying and agricultural produce so the economy doesn't develop quite as well as it could like bartery yeah it's still a bit it's still a bit too bartery um, now around this time also the language develops in that um, with the reformation Latin was to be replaced with the vernacular as you might expect Ooh. but uh, the Danish language was kind of pushed as the vernacular, and that was the language of the church and the Danish-Norwegian monarchy also. Uh, with the increasing concentration of trade and governmental rule in Copenhagen, Danish was also the language of law and administration, mm. uh, but Faroese was still the spoken language. Uh, and as a cultural mode of expression was there uh, through ballads and legends and all, 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 the, all the things you might expect. Uh, and then it was transformed into a written form at the end of the 18th and the mid-19th century. So okay. it starts to become a bit more coagulate as a language. And it was also then kind of tied onto the nationalist movement, which came into being among Pharaoh students in Copenhagen. In 1881, they founded the Pharaoh Fellowship. There should have just been the Pharaoh ship, obviously. But it's always the students, isn't it? Like the the the. It's always the students. The students the, that the, emigrate. The farmers never, and the fishermen never, kind of go. We need to become a nation. It's always the the notiony students, in the cafes of the capital city, kind of going. Hang on a second. We're yeah. different. <laughs> We've had a lot of coffee, and we want our own country now. Thank you very much, and we will eventually go back to be the country, but you know, but not for, yet. For now. I mean, there's nothing to do there. But not yet. <laughs> So uh, a few years later, there is the Furingafelag, the uh, Society of Faroese in 1888. They were founded in, in Torshaven. Uh, both uh, associations were inspired by the national and other cultural ideals of the time, mm-hmm. emphasising common ethnicity, descent from the Norwegian Vikings and the, the language. 
between 1900, we're in the 20th century, guys, and 1920, the population grows from 15,000 to 21,000, and the fishing fleet also grows to 144 vessels. The years up to World War I were a big, big boom time for the fishing, and then with the Great Depression, oh no, no one wants to buy our fish, and it's, it's quite bad. Um, okay. The Danish state had to undertake a, a, a big kind of public expenses program to subsidize the industry, um, but it didn't really do a lot. They kind of helped, but not weren't going out of their way. Let's put it that way. And yeah, economic hardship was uh, was a, a, a big a big part of life at that time. And uh, political relations with Denmark, um, they were fine, debated a bit, but you know, still still kind of going. Uh, Danish was to be the only language permitted for teaching purposes, had been stipulated by law in 1912. I think they were kind of trying to hold on to their, their grip on, uh, on the pharaohs. But in 1937, the Faroese replaced Danish as the official school language, and in 38 as the church language. Hey. And then some stuff happens. All right. It's a massive yeah. transition there. <laughs> and some stuff happens. Yep. I will talk about the stuff that happens... Uh, right after this break. Thank you. So, um, what happens is that in uh, 1939, Hitler decides to, to, to do some stuff. Um, yeah. Uh, in so in yeah 1939, obviously we have the outbreak of of, uh, of World War Two. On the 9th of April 1940, Nazi forces occupy Denmark, which was neutral. Mark mentioned uh, the Faroe Islands were a province or a county of Denmark at that mm-hmm. time. And they sent one Nazi out in a boat to, to yeah. tell everyone <laughs> Just to like announce. Just like six <laughs> guys in a boat saying, uh, we're, we're in charge now. It's the same guy from before with the scroll. We were, okay... I've just got a letter. We're we're not a constitutional monarchy anymore. We're, we really have a lot of weird views about a lot of minorities. Uh, I don't want to read also, a lot of the stuff. But more just... swastikas. We need more swastikas. Yeah. yeah. We have no swastikas. Exactly. Right. So to preempt that, to preempt uh, Nazis in, in, in rowboats... Um, Churchill launched what was known as Operation Valentine. The English are coming. Yeah. Hello! Much later than usual. <laughs> yeah, this is not the romance novel by uh, one Loretta Hill, which will plague you if you try to Google Operation Valentine. But uh, yeah, this is the British oper- <laughs> operation Christ. to uh, to occupy the uh, the Faroe Islands. And and was 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 the novel good? I mean, how far true did you get before you realized you had the wrong source? It's material? it's got like a three and a half out of out of five on Goodreads. So okay. I, I mean. I guess if if that's your oh, thing. Oh, you, you didn't read it. What happens? I didn't read it. No, Sorry. but uh, it definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm very compelled by by Bertha and and um, and Michael's relationship, but like, when are the Nazis? Well, it popped up a lot of my research, but uh, yeah, no, it wasn't. I, I wasn't that dedicated. Oh, it's an ebook, guys. <laughs> yeah. oh, wait, is there maybe an? I, I might have a different one actually. Uh, Elizabeth Madry. 
Is that who you have? Oh, maybe there's another one. No, I, I oh, have Loretta. There's another one, yeah. Okay. It's an e-book, and that's that suggests not, not a real book. Sorry. Okay. But yeah, uh, so Churchill implements Operation, Operation Valentine as the pharaohs become a tactically strategic uh, position in the Northern Atlantic. On April 11th, he addresses the operation on BBC Radio and says the following... We are also at this moment occupying the Faroe Islands, which belong to Denmark and which are a strategic point of high importance, and whose people showed every disposition to receive us with warm regard. We shall shield the Faroe Islands from all the severities of war and establish ourselves there conveniently by sea and air until the moment comes where they will be handed back to Denmark, liberated from the foul thraldom into which they have been plunged by German aggression. Now, I thought it was kind of funny that... uh, as far as I could tell on the timeline of this, this is actually before um, any British forces land at the Faroe Islands. So he says in that quote that we are at this moment occupying the Faroe Islands. And everyone's very happy about it. Which they technically were not until the following day. Occupying. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, in the process of. Yeah. 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 Where, where, the, where the action begins with leaving Britain. It's, it's highly yes. speculative, but, you know. But I thought that was kind of a ballsy move on Churchill's part. Oh. But uh, he was nothing if not ballsy, I guess. Yeah. Is that a surprise? Um, so... Just, just an, up, an update from... An update from Loretta Hill's novel. <laughs> is is a, yeah. that uh, she's... Due to food poisoning, broken dates, airport malfunctions and death, Sarah has never had a boyfriend on Valentine's Day. I mean, um, this sounds like the same story as a. Can, can I can I read yeah. the one I found? When when Annabelle Elliot returned his engagement ring six years ago, what? So what? <laughs> that doesn't even make any sense. <laughs> the description is this novel is poorly written. It's a bad sign. Uh, sorry. When Annabelle Elliot returned his engagement six six years ago, okay, keep going. Rick Wentworth buried his broken heart in his job at Intelligence Associates Inc. Wow. Returning from his overseas assignment, <laughs> a newly awarded contract forces him into daily contact with her. It's part of a series of of Oper- Operation Mistletoe, Operation Fireworks, and Operation Back to School, as, as wow. are the other okay. other ones in the series. I feel like we should oh, just Jesus. start a new podcast that just just like you know, <laughs> summarizing romance novels. Operations Valentine. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. O- Owen Black, the handsome new owner of the Blue Saloon, likes his moon fast, experienced, and temporary. Oh God! <laughs> get get um, tested. That's my that's my advice. Right. This guy. So uh, on the on the twelfth of April, nineteen forty, two British Royal Naval destroyers arrive in Torsan, the capital of the Pharaohs, and were welcomed by the locals for the most part. Uh, this um, <laughs> hello, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Churchill told us you were coming. (laughs) We were told we were Nazis. What what happened to the Nazis? I thought we were going to be Nazis. We're English now? Are we English? So this resulted in in an emergency meeting of the Lugting, uh, which was convened that same (laughs) afternoon. Reasonable, yes. Um, A number of the members of parliament who had previously advocated Mm. for independence from Denmark attempted to use this opportunity to to secede, but uh, were, were voted down by the calmer heads in the room. Yeah, the war kind of got in the way, and uh, Churchill was like, "Yeah, we're gonna, hmm. we're just gonna occupy you guys for a while, and uh, then you can you can figure out independence after that." Which, as we've spoken about before, was uh, was a common theme in uh, in World War Two was kind of these smaller nations yes. being promised uh, independence. We're defending the rights of small nations yes. to stay exactly the same after the war. Exactly. Yeah. Um, 
So whilst Denmark was occupied by Hitler, the Logtig was given uh, full legislative powers for the first time ever. This gave him even more of a taste for independence, which would eventually lead to a vote on the matter once the war was over. Uh, and now I'm going to do my flag Ooh. talk section, which I, I've, I've done in the past few episodes. Flag talk. Gotcha. Uh, the Faroese flag is a white field with a red Nordic cross, which is fimbriated azure, which is non-flag talk or in non-flag <laughs> talk in English means it has a blue border around it. Uh, so it's basically like a, a a blue Nordic cross with a red Nordic cross on the top. Um, What's a Nordic cross? I haven't I haven't googled it. You know all of the, all of the flags of all Scandinavian right. countries. Yeah, where it's a bit They've more got, on like, the sort left. Of lopsided it, cross. It's like, yeah, it's, it's like a cross, but then you go a bit to the. I guess yeah, so you, if go, you know, go right. If you, the flag if you can picture the flag of any Nordic country, so yeah, this this one is just a a, a, a red cross with a blue border around it. Um, on a white field. The white apparently symbolizes the foam of the sea and the pure radiant sky of the Faroe Islands, which I assume are, are white most of the time. Sure. <laughs> Probably because it's cloudy. Yeah, because it's rainy um, as hell. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the old Faroese blue and red colors are reminiscent of other Scandinavian and Nordic flags representing the Faroe Islands <laughs> bonds with other Nordic countries. So basically, we're we're Nordic too. I'm going to I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say they didn't try very hard with not. explaining the color scheme. No, not particularly. Uh, it's like it's like the flag of everywhere else nearby except different colors because yes. all the other colors were taken. Technically correct, yes. Pharaohs. You already phoned it in. <laughs> so the flag was first designed by, uh, yet again, these pretentious uh, students in 1919, uh, uh, but was not fully adopted until 1940, shortly after the British occupation. And the, the reason that they adopted the flag was that the British Navy insisted that Faroese vessels must use an alternative flag than the Danish national flag. Oh, uh, because Denmark right. was currently occupied by Nazis. So I guess potentially hmm. uh, <clears throat> ships flying the the Danish flag could potentially be um, allied with the Nazis. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, so uh, the flag, which is called the Mirkiu, I think. Merkis. Merkis. It's spelt like the Mirkiu. Yeah. Who knows what it's pronounced as? The D with a line through it's like a th. V. Okay. So Mir- Mirkiv. Yeah. Nothing's clearer than a D with a line through it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I worked for an Icelandic guy for, for four years. I picked up some stuff. Okay. So uh, Mirkiv, which means uh, the banner or the mark, and it was adopted by Faroese sailors on April 25th, 1940, shortly after the ac- occupation began. It would later become the official flag upon independence, which we will get to later. But uh, April 25th, the, the first day that the flag was uh, adopted is still celebrated as Flag of the Goo, I believe it's pronounced, <laughs> which is a national holiday in the Faroe What does that mean, Luke? What what could Flag the Goo possibly mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly. Flag Day, yes. Mm-hmm. So April 25th, Flag Day Be more in creative. the Faroe Islands. So back to the occupation. The government of the islands, <clears> despite <throat> some people advocating for independence and others outright protesting the British occupation, uh, came to accept it so long as the British did not interfere with the internal affairs of the Faroe Islands. Fair enough. Uh, so throughout the course of the war, there was relatively little activity in the Faroe Islands. Uh, although, as I mentioned previously... Just like before and after the war. Yeah. They did prove to be an important base of operations for the British Atlantic Fleet. Uh, this sure. is because yeah. of something <laughs> called the GIUK, which is a military choke point from Northern Europe into the Northern Atlantic. Mm. So if you if you basically if you draw a line on the map between Greenland, Iceland, and the UK, 
you can seal off uh, kind of the 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 route to all the Nor- the rest of the Nordic Nordic countries uh, entirely, and the Faroes lie yeah. along that line between Iceland and the UK. So uh, it's also mm. sort of a, a strategic naval point nowadays because of NATO, I believe. But uh, yeah, it was it was mm. even more so during World War Two. But if you think about it, like the the other the only other routes are like the English Channel, Channel like, which is like twenty six or I think it's twenty six miles. It's like literally exactly. you can see across the damn thing. You, uh, you, you can lock it entirely with ships if you want. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like a countable number of ships would fill the channel. Um, yeah. yeah. So the islands were occasionally bombed by the Luftwaffe uh, during the course of the war, but I I couldn't find a lot of detail on that to be honest. I I don't think there were um, too many fatalities because of that, but the the biggest issue for the Faroe Islands was, uh, yeah, maybe some sheep, I don't know. Um, the biggest issue for the Faroese was the Allied sea mines around the islands, which occasionally mm-hmm. blew up and sunk Faroese fishing vessels. Right. Yeah, there was one trawler was sunk by one of these mines on the 28th of March, 1942, uh, near Iceland. And 21 Faroese seamen were killed in the worst, uh, single worst loss of life uh, during the war of Faroese citizens. But seemingly one of the reasons that fish, and I didn't know this, but fish was seemingly never rationed during uh, World War II in the UK. And wow. that was partly due to the Faroese supply of fish from these waters. So, um, right. I mean, yeah. I, I wonder if that was partially why fish and chips were, became such a, a British staple. That's what I, that, that is what I read. Yeah. Fish and chips became a, a huge uh, staple meal at oh, that wow. time. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and huh. Amazing. Yeah, and also during this this time, because the uh, the British soldiers were super keen on uh, fish and chips as well, they became sort of a, a, a traditional dish in the Faroe Islands, and they remain so to this day, seemingly because of the occupation. Mm. Whoa! Yeah, oh, they are delicious. Yeah, yeah. The RAF uh, built an airfield and an adjacent flying boat base on the island of Vergar, um, which became fully operational in June 1942. But by that time, the need for both facilities had been drastically reduced because of the range, uh, increasing range of aircraft ah. that were being built in the UK. So essentially, they mm. they probably spent a couple of years building this uh, airbase in the Faroes, thinking they would need it to um, fly to the rest of um, northern Europe. And then by that time, RAF fighters could then fly there directly from the UK. So it was it wasn't entirely necessary by that point. But the airfield was the first airbase built on the islands and uh, is a lasting legacy of the occupation. Uh, total military strength, including Royal Navy and uh, Royal Air Force personnel, was approximately 8,000, uh, which totaled nearly 20, 27% of the island's population of 30,000 at the time. Despite this, the occupation was generally amicable and was uh, significantly scaled down in 1944. Uh, in May of that year, Iceland became an independent rep- republic from Denmark after a referendum, I believe. Uh, but Churchill would not hear a vote on independence in the Faroes whilst Denmark was still occupied. Uh, Denmark was then liberated by the Allies in 1945, uh, May of 1945, and the occupation ended shortly thereafter. By September of that year, basically all of the British forces had uh, left the Faroes. And the Pharaohs were, uh, or the Pharaohese were strongly opposed to returning to their former position of a of a county of Denmark. Yeah, and then the last couple of notes I have on the on the World War II and the occupation are that yeah, as I mentioned, 
the Faroese developed a, a strong taste for fish and, fish and chips during the occupation and also Cadbury's dairy milk. Oh, yeah. That's Amazing. the good stuff. Uh, which was also brought in by British soldiers. And I think we can also, yeah, all three of us can appreciate that. Um, yes, sir. For those who may be listening from America, for example, you should, you should, you definitely need to try Cadbury's Dairy Milk is amazing. Like Swiss, Swiss chocolate. chocolate is nice, but it well, just I think Cadbury's was actually bought out by Mondelez, the Oreo it people. Was. So it's it's it's. Yeah. I think it's quite a lot of Cadbury's in it. Oh right, but it's not the same. Yeah, right? but they make it all Hersheysy with the with oh, the, with God, the yeah. kind of stale milk flavor added. Garbage. Yeah, because I can I can technically get dairy milk here, but it's it's made in Australia. I think it's the Australian formula. So um, and it's not as good. But there are stores Lame. here in Hong Kong that sell. Uh, specifically the British uh, dairy milk they import it from the UK uh-huh. and it's it's yeah the the, the difference in qualities is is noticeable mm-hmm. one last thing is that uh, Faroese young women also welcomed the presence of so many young single men on the islands there were more than 170 marriages between British soldiers and Faroese women during the course of the occupation wow yeah mm. that's yeah. a lot yeah for um, such a small place yeah that's you know Near two hundred, I guess, uh, marriages. So, it was yeah. a rare opportunity for for genetic diversification. Exactly. I I did read I did read actually something about that, which I I I didn't dive too deeply into, but seemingly um, because the pharaohs have such a small population and there is such a mm. such a lack of diversity in the gene pool that um, certain diseases, particularly oh, around boy. this time, oh, sure. were, were more common. Um, so I guess yeah, I mean, yeah. diversifying the gene pool is definitely no no that's bad a, thing. That's so inevitable. Yeah. Yeah, so that's the end of World War Two. So, Joe, I think you're going to talk about um, independence. Is that right? Well, independence isn't really the word, uh, but let's race towards what we have now. Okay. So, as you say, Churchill wouldn't countenance an independence referendum under his watch, which I think is fair because, like, it's not his country. So. Exactly. So, uh, yes, we're at the point of the the story where the English are leaving again, which is a, a very quick turnaround. Yes. Goodbye. So they had a referendum on the in 1946 on whether to become independent or to have a continued union with Denmark. And there was a marginal victory for independence. So there was a 161 more people voted for independence than continued union. Wow. Okay. And a third of the population didn't vote. Okay. Right. So there were more spoiled vote votes than there were a difference between Right. The two options. We just we, we just we just don't <clears> want to <throat> vote, basically, is what they were saying. <laughs> yeah. Um or like some people felt like that, you know, they wanted a a more autonomy within Denmark option and that wasn't. Joe, given. the people have spoken and Frexit means Frexit. And we're gonna have a strong and stable Frexit. Fifty point zero two percent is a are we calling it Frexit now? That's what <laughs> I'm calling it, yes. Yes. Frexit means Frexit. I don't want to. I don't want to time date what's happening, but uh, I live in the UK and I'm losing my damn mind. It's. Uh, I, I, I anyway, would imagine yeah. you are. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, look. For, yeah, for exit means for exit. That's so, thing. you know, in a, in a, in a move that I think sounds very sensible, with a somewhat unclear outcome of a referendum on a, an ill-defined concept. The people have spoken. Uh, they decided to. They decided to have a bit of a think about it. And figure out a way forward. No, 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 wrong, wrong approach. People thinking (laughs) they're going to start, start wearing scarves in the summer. They're going to start marrying their cousins and it's going to be wrong. The people have spoken, Joe. Okay. 
So the chairman of the Lag thing, he initially declared independence on the 18th of September 1946, but it was not recognised by either a majority of the Lag thing or the Danish parliament or the government. And so... Parliamentary traitors blocking for exit. <laughs> oh my God, this is, there's just seen so many parallels. It's really bumming me out, guys. So... <laughs> King Christian X of Denmark dissolved the Faroese Lug thing on 24th of September and called for new elections because he felt this current parliament wasn't capable of making a oh, making a decision oh on God. the topic at hand and maybe they needed to get a new mandate in order to, to achieve a sensible outcome. Wow. Why am I only learning about this now? I should be bringing uh, this up in so many conversations. <laughs> this is very frustrating, guys. <laughs> yep. So obviously I, I the, the, the king stepped in and just sorted it all out. Like they have the power to, and like they should, like they deserve a role. Okay, great. Okay, super. You're gonna have a king. They might as well do something. Well, you know, constitutional monarchy. Mm. You know, that's that's what it's about. So yeah, they had a they had a parliamentary election, and the parties in favour of full independence received about five thousand four hundred votes, and the parties against it received a total of about seven thousand five hundred votes. So, okay, independence maybe not. Um. So they had some negotiations. Denmark granted the Faroe Islands home rule on the 30th of March, 1948. So they would basically be a self-governing, autonomous part of the Kingdom of Denmark. So sharing a king, I think the Danish government maybe does some, you know, foreign relations type stuff and military stuff. But they kind of, on a day-to-day basis, pretty much everything is managed from Tursab. And so they adopt the flag, as you said. Uh, Faroe is a language, is the official language, and they learn Danish at school. Because a lot of people will end up going to Denmark to go to university or to get a job or whatever. Yeah. Um, interestingly, when in 1973, when uh, Denmark joined the European Community, or what has become the European Union over time, the Faroes refused to join because they might be impacted in terms of the fishing, uh, their oh, fishing right. rights. Yeah, yeah. Uh, their chief economic activity was and is fishing. And um, they couldn't really afford to compromise to sort of please their neighbours under yeah. the common, what's it called, the common, common fisheries policy? Or yep. Yeah. Uh, so that was their reason for not um, not joining and it means it's quite complicated. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a kind of a fascinating... Danish passports, but yeah. they don't have freedom of movement within the EU like other Danish citizens and it's all a bit awkward. And like I think Danes who move to the Faroes lose their right to free movement to other EU countries mm. while they're there. And it's a bit messy. So they're Danish, but not in the EU. It's worth mentioning, it's not part of the same discussion as it, but Greenland, which is also in a kind of a similar position, mm. that it's you know, a country kind of, but within the Kingdom of Denmark. Um, they did join the EU, but then left in 1985 um because oh. th- they were they were included in the eu when denmark came in but then they were kind of granted more rights granted more autonomy in 79 so, but yeah the, mm. i guess the decision of the pharaohs probably provided the context for that decision of greenland because, because greenland also does a hell of a lot of fishing yeah yeah so through the 80s the economy boomed uh, new technology made fishing more efficient uh, unemployment was low support for independence <laughs> grew it was a bubble, though, because more efficient fishing. Well, we know where that leads from our Newfoundland episode. Mm. No more fishes. Yeah, fish were, were very efficiently fished 
to uh, to being not fish. Yeah. To um, they were finished, f- f- fishnished, fin- fishnished, <laughs> um, and so the, the the stocks were heavily depleted, and government spending had gotten out of control because everyone had been the government, the Faroese government had, had been spending based on, you know. All of the fish. We'll have lots of fish. Uh, and we will always have lots of fish. And so they ended up with a national debt of 9.8 billion kroner, which is, I think, about 1.2 billion euro yeah. today. It's like divide by 10 kind of thing. It's, yeah. yeah. It's um, a lot of debt. But for also a small in, place, in the, in the 80s. Needless to say. Yeah. Yeah. In 1992, the National Bank had to call in receivers and a, a Danish bailout saved the banking system albeit with massive austerity so the 90s weren't great there was a rough period where six percent of Faroese emigrated so it's like you know it's not great mostly to denmark uh, unemployment was in the mid-20s Oof. oh wow uh, okay like bankruptcies of businesses and people all over the place because I, I read recently that the the, the 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 credit crisis and so on in 2007 8 9 uh unemployment went up to seven percent but yeah Apparently, wow, this is this is much worse than that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the they restructured the economy and it recovered. Uh, fish stocks recovered, and they also discovered a bit of oil. So the economy, sort of since the turn of the millennium, has been doing pretty good, doing okay. Uh, just not not as bubbly, not as boomy. Just uh, from what I, from what I'm reading, they're they're in a pretty healthy economic position these days, anyway. And there's yeah. there's actually quite a bit of. But I think healthy would be the word a, rather than booming. Yeah, but uh, definitely sustainable, or seems to be sustainable. And there's actually quite a, a sign, been a significant increase in people moving to the Faroes, uh, particularly from Denmark, I believe, because um, mm. uh, the population I think I yeah. mentioned uh, in the intro just recently, I think in 2017, surpassed 50,000 people for the first time ever. Mm-hmm. They're they're doing pretty well nowadays, which is which is good to hear. The GDP per capita is is around the EU average, so okay. it does kind of suggest good. moderate. It is it is of moderate wealth. Yep. Uh, so on the independence question, like they they talked about having a referendum in two thousand one on the first steps towards independence, but it was called off because the Danish Prime Minister uh, Rasmussen said that basically they just phase out. Danish money grants if there was a yes vote and they went eh, oh like the money. it doesn't sound good yeah no, we want the no. free money <laughs> but the pharaohs has taken more and more control for different governmental responsibilities like the airport and the administration of the church mm. which have been done from Denmark um, it always surprises me that like the super liberal Scandinavian countries are all monarchies with, with established churches and it's fine it's kind of a strange uh you know, no, no, we keep church and state together and have a king, and yet we're really liberal and accommodating and democratic and tolerant. Okay. I guess I guess stability has, has kind yeah. of helped those those civil liberties to, to develop. Strong and um, stable. Sure. They, they do um, have a... Yeah. <laughs> they, they don't actually have a military, the Faroese, obviously, because you know, we, we talked about how, how Denmark handles yeah. all that set of things. But they used to have their own kind of, like, bit of, you know pharaoh command or something like that it was called um but they've actually been amalgamated with greenland uh so they're now yeah. there's now just a danish joint arctic command and it's literally just a it's um the contact element pharaoh islands rent space in the same building used by the radio station and also by the Faroese Contingencies Agency. So it's like one floor with just like right. all the kind of rapid reaction stuff you need 
in one building. And can I just round off by saying that there's still some talk about future independence. There probably always will be. Um, and I just came across a like a recent enough article in the local.dk um, and just some quotes from that that I think probably sum up some of the opinions that like uh, Hannah Jensen, the co-founder of the Progressive Party, says Denmark is not a hard master, uh, but it has its own motivations, its own needs and interests for its own place in the world. They're trying to also include our needs, motivations and wants, but they collide regularly. So, you know, okay, that's a very moderate position. Sounds like the progressive party are not uncommon. super progressive on independence then. <laughs> it's like things are okay. You know, it'd be nice to be independent, but, but yeah. Denmark okay, is pretty I've, nice too. I've, so I've just gone on a little odyssey here, guys. So I, I found uh, on a saga. I, I, well, sure. I, I took the took the uh, wording I found in the Wikipedia page about the, about this joint Arctic command thing mm-hmm. and put it in. I, I got a website which suggested I might I might be saying something useful, but it's all in Faroese. I put it in, and it, uh, Google Translate doesn't actually recognize Faroese, so it <laughs> well, tra- this is a it translated as Icelandic. Yeah, um, and it's a bit ropey. What I what I got was uh, the the motivation behind it was. This is to make the activity of donkey living in the North Atlantic Lake more active. Uh, so, <laughs> I'm not all the wiser, I'm afraid. So, Luke, does that nicely bring us to you, that thing you wanted to talk yeah. about? Yeah, uh, uh, let's the tourist board. Yeah, so Faroese actually, uh, the Faroe Islands had a had an interesting battle with um, Google Translate uh, a couple of years ago. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, where there was this campaign by, I think it was a Faroese uh, tourism board or something. I think it's a tourist board. Yeah. yeah. They seem to have very clever They do have a very clever, uh, they have a very witty uh, marketing department in the Faroe Islands. Yeah, um, yeah and they, they did this YouTube campaign which went viral about uh, how Faroese is not included on Google Translate. And I guess they lost because it's still not there. But It's um, not there. No. Yeah. But uh, the, the... Icelandic is close, but it's not the same. Yeah. But uh, the the video itself went went viral. We'll, we'll include a little clip of it here, actually. But it's it's a it's a pretty funny campaign, and we'll we'll include a link to it in the show notes too. Welcome to the Faroe Islands. We are a tiny country in the middle of the North Atlantic Ocean. It's estimated that fewer than eighty thousand people on Earth can speak our language. Many guests would like to learn a little Faroese. For example that a sunset is called a solsetter, that a waterfall is a fossor, that a hike is a gunkoturer. One of the most important times to understand the language is when you order food. Kuitanagir means sheep testicles in Faroese. This shot of a guy like uh, tucking into sheep testicles and then when he hears this, he's, he just kind of like right. pauses for a second. The problem is that Google Translate does not work with Faroese. So, until it does, we will help them with Faroe Islands Translate, powered by Faroese volunteers. It's simple, you write, and a random Faroese volunteer will translate. Welcome to Faroe Islands Translate. Try it, and you will learn that we have 40 words for fog. Toka, mjöstje, skanta, skutta, slur, sim, rotvever, tvang, togetvang, tata mjöstje, tata mjöstje, tifa mjöstje, kjata mjöstje, And if you want to say, excuse me, may I disturb you for a minute, you can just say... Two?
the, the idea was like talk to a Faroese person, right? Yeah, and uh, a couple of years later, I think they had a Street View um, campaign because Google Google Sheep View. Yes, because they they hadn't had uh, also lacked Google Street View uh, to navigate around the islands. What was it? Somebody. Uh, attached like a GoPro or something to sheep wandering around the island <laughs> yeah. to try to map it or something like nice. that. Um, but it's it's a treat. Like you can you can ride around on the back of the sheep in the video. And, right, and, like, right. Look around the, the fields. It's quite it's ridiculous but wonderful. Yeah. So yeah, they they also did this kind of YouTube marketing campaign for this, uh, which was mm. uh, judging from the amount of hits on it, was not as successful as the first one, but still like it's is is a is a pretty cool campaign. So worth checking out, and also has some. No, I I I really they've got a whole website about that um about the, the sheep view thing sheep view yeah and they did eventually get google to send out some uh some of their some, little vehicles you know some of their street view cameras and they put them on some cars and yeah and now i think there is street view but they also had a they had sheep view and they had ship view okay where they put a, a camera on a ship and went into some of the fjords oh wow uh, it was like it was one of those kind of wonderfully silly things where you're like yeah this is right this is the correct way to market your strange country yeah um it's like what's the thing everyone knows sheep let's lean into that yeah and the woman is is lovely she's like oh this 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 is my sheep and i thought i will put the thing on my sheep (laughs) (laughs) no it's good it's really good it's it's quite charming um so yeah the i guess that just leaves kind of modern day which i guess we're, we're sort of already talking about but um yeah, yeah. The, mm-hmm. the the main industry I guess nowadays still is is fishing. I believe you have a have a clip here from Arnie talking about um talking about the importance of fishing even nowadays to uh to the pharaohs. So we'll just drop that here. Per capita, Faroese people are the people that fish most fish in the world. Wow. Uh, so so it's it's quite it plays a very very uh, significant role in in our society. The fishing industry is largely what funds the public sector. You know, right? Um, that, wow. That's where the money is created most of the time, uh, or, or to a large extent. And then uh, uh, there have been problem there have been problems with the EU over over about overfishing of mm. herring and mackerel. So from two thousand and ten to fourteen, there was a. A boycott basically of, of EU ports wouldn't accept Faroese ships oh, wow. with fish because they had basically unilaterally increased their fishing amounts by a significant amount in a way the EU felt was unsustainable and endangered the you know the ability of Sweden and Denmark and Ireland and the UK and the Netherlands to have sustainable fishing industries also. I wonder if they could have sold to Norway given that Norway Probably, yeah. Is technically in the EU, but... Although might, it's in the Free Trade in, Association. But they might be, which, yeah, affected by the, the common fisheries policy then. There's lots of levels of European cooperation. Yeah. Uh, some of which overlap. And so they, they came to some kind of um, point where they could they could compromise. So like the the last press release I saw in 2014, the commi- European Commission is clearly saying we're not happy with the Faroese fishing quotas, but they're we're willing to pull off the boycott now because they're they're at a level that we can work with. Okay. Um. So they still they still think it's more than than they would recommend and their their scientific methods would recommend. But yeah. So that's that's uh, that's where things seem to be at now. But a bit testy from time to time when your entire economy is fishing. It's uh, yeah. You're gonna be precious about it. Exactly. 
I have a few bits and pieces here. Uh, just kind of, uh, I found a, an article in the Belfast Telegraph from from a few years ago, which had twenty things you don't know about the Faroe Islands, and there's just two or three that that uh, struck me. Apparently, there's seventy seven nationalities represented among the population of of, of the Faroe Islands. Yeah, which is, which I, I did really read that myself. Yeah, which is which is mental considering it's such a small place. Yeah, and you'd expect, you know, okay, there'll be Danes, maybe some Norwegians, but 77 There is nothing nations. like a Dane, nothing. In... <laughs> is that it's a song in South Pacific, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, there's no McDonald's on the Faroe Islands. But there but is a Burger, Burger King. King. Exactly. Hey. Yeah. Um, and one, one last thing um, was that it's the only place in the world with a bridge over the Atlantic Ocean. Oh yes, yes. Uh, I it connects it to be, the islands. Wow! Uh, but yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, like I mean, it's it it, yeah. it, it sounds more impressive than it is. Well, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's not literally over the Atlantic Ocean. I mean, it's it's over a, a tiny stretch of it between two islands. No, it's it, it's literally over the Atlantic Ocean. It is. It's literally over the Atlantic yes. Ocean. Fair enough. It just doesn't anyway. span the entire Atlantic Ocean. Yes. Yeah. Uh, do we have another uh, clip from Arnie here that we want to insert? Yep. So uh, as as I often do when I'm kind of uh, chatting to somebody about about their home area or an area that they, they know better than I do, uh, I, I always kind of want to make sure that whatever the strangest thing is, we we, we get to hear about it. So uh, this is me just asking Arnie, uh, what, what's the what's the strangest thing in his opinion about uh, about life in the Faroes? Oh well, that's a good question. Um... We have we have a couple of radio stations, but the the main one, the sort of public broadcasting uh, one, they do the news every day at what was it twelve twenty I think. Okay. But straight after the new, the news, they read they tell us who has died that day. You know, this is a small community, and they you know you have like three or four, maybe five people right. dying every day, maybe, and uh, they give you that information every single day. Who has died? You know, uh, how old were they? Where did they die? And also, you know, when is their funeral? Yeah. And this is something that I sometimes mention uh, when I'm, you know, tour guiding. Uh, in the Pharaohs, people show up for funerals. Uh, yeah. I think that's something that sets us apart. I have lots of friends who tell me uh, I work with someone who, who when she studied in Denmark, she was a church singer, right? Uh, and sometimes she had to bring flowers herself because no one showed up for that. Oh funeral. my God. And I just think, oh that's, my god, that's, that's terrible! Really sad. Yeah, that's dark. That never happens in the Pharaohs. On a related note, uh, and something I found interesting as well is that um, after their their forcible conversion by by our old friend Sigmund, uh, people in the Pharaohs continue to be quite Christian. And and Ar- Arnie had a few things to say about how how widespread Christianity is uh, even to the modern day. Something that people sometimes tell me is that they're quite surprised by how religious the pharaohs are. But in the pharaohs, like almost everyone is religious. I mean, wow. uh, they did a census a couple of years back where 94% identified as Christian. Uh, My word. And, 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 you know, people go to church. A lot of them do, at least. And, uh, and you know, religious literacy, maybe you could call it, is quite high. There are lots of, of really interesting ways that it just plays into our everyday lives. Like, like there are laws about uh, you can't make noise on uh, religious holidays. 
things like that. I remember I, I've played in bands, as I just mentioned earlier. Okay. And so we had to end gigs at certain times because, oh, it's Easter tomorrow, so we have to be done at midnight, you know, things oh, like that. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's wow, really... amazing. You, you, the UK probably had these laws. Ireland most definitely had those yeah, maybe sure. 50 years back or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we still have them. Uh, and shops close on Sundays, things like that. So it used to be the case in, in uh, on the mainland, but it's still the case here that religion plays quite the, uh, a large role in in people's lives or or maybe maybe not their lives but just the sort of what happens in society we 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 also came across uh uh that this isn't arnie's first podcast rodeo uh we we i, I came across an old um episode of the the faroe islands podcast which is a quite regular podcast Jesus. on just they have podcasts for everything nowadays don't they yeah and he was on it talking about um an issue back in 2008 when some uh, some faroese mps were boycotting the icelandic prime minister because she was gay and he kind of achieved brief internet notoriety for being a kind of presenting a christian argument against uh you know being rude to your neighbors Right, um, which uh, you know, if you want to listen to him talk more, uh, you can you can go and listen to that podcast about okay. really minute details of Faroese life. Every episode, it's it's a uh, it's not an overview; it's a microscope. Uh, yeah, and as we mentioned at the top of the episode, Arnie's uh, full interview with us will be uh, available to our Patreon backers at patreon.com forward slash eighty days podcast. If you're interested in hearing more from him. Um, Let's see, what else have we got? Uh, sports. I want to add a little bit on sports. Um, the thing that I yeah, mentioned me at the top of the episode was uh, the Island Games, which I had never heard of before, but they are, uh, to quote for, directly from Wikipedia, because that's uh, that's the level of research <laughs> that I've done here. Um, they are an international multi-sports event organized by the International Island Games Association, or IIGA. Teams each represent different island communities, as well as Gibraltar, which are IIGA members. <laughs> I don't know why Gibraltar is in there, but... The uh, island and Peninsula Games. Not an island. Yes. Uh, all competitors, all competitor teams represent non-sovereign territories of European nations, some within European waters and some further overseas. Uh, the most recent games were in 2017 in Gotland in Sweden, with 2,300 competitors from 23 competing islands or island groups competing in 14 different sports. And the 2019 Island Games will, for some reason, take place in Gibraltar. The famous island of um, Gibraltar. Yes, um, which, which, if you if you haven't heard it, is in our back catalog. Uh, Gibraltar is is way back in I think season way, one. Way, yeah. way back. I just yeah. want a list actually because this is one of those lists that we come across sometimes that contains a bunch of places that we should talk about or some that we already have talked yeah. about. Uh, Jersey, the Isle of Man, Guernsey, uh, the Faroes, obviously Isle of Wight. Arland, which I, I've been pushing for yeah, uh, recently, the Cayman Island. Islands, Gibraltar, Rhodes, uh, Iceland, um, the Orkney Islands, Greenland, uh, yeah, a bunch of them. Malta. Malta mm, is Malta. in here, yeah. St. Helena is in here as well, or St. Helena, uh, the Falklands. So, yeah, we, we will probably cover at least a Malta's few of those. Malta's sovereign, isn't it? Uh, Malta's a republic. Malta's a country. Why is Malta here? Yeah, Malta is a country. That's weird. Um, mm. but And Iceland's a country. Yeah. Yep. Oh wait, wait, wait! It says here islands marked in grey are no longer members of the IIGA and cannot compete. And Iceland and Malta uh, are both in that. Uh, in oh. that group. Yes. 
Uh, so in May of 2018, the Parliament of the Faroe Islands guaranteed 1.5 million euros towards hosting the games before or uh, in 2029. So they will be coming to okay. the Faroe Islands at some point. Uh, and also, I don't know if you wanted to mention this, Mark. I know you usually cover football, but uh, their most famous football player is a guy called Gunnar Nielsen. Yep. Who is a goalkeeper for the Faroese national team and also for Icelandic club FH. And he is the only footballer from the Faroe Islands to have played in the English Premier League. Mm. Uh, played once for Manchester City uh, and I believe for Blackburn mm. for a while as well, but made just a handful of appearances for them as well. Um, but uh, still currently yeah. playing as, as we record this. So uh, I think he's probably the most famous uh, athlete from the Faroes, unless you guys have anyone else. Oh, oh no, he, uh, that's probably him. I, I do have a bit more about uh, uh, Faroese football, though. Uh, I... I I don't think uh, we're going to talk about this, but uh, uh, one of the many connections that I, I highlighted to Arnie was that uh, uh, the former Republic of Ireland manager, Brian Kerr, he wandered over to the Faroes and was uh, the manager for them for oh, a couple yeah. of years, like two, three years, actually. Brian Kerr was over there, yeah. which is just a, a really odd connection. I remember him doing an interview from the Faroes talking about his, you know, his commute. Uh, from uh, from like Fingless or whatever to to uh, to the Faroes, um, but also uh, so the Faroe Islands have uh, I think I had, I had looked through their record and I think they've won twenty four games in their history, including four against uh, and this is the question four against what former eighty day country? Uh, Got to be Gibraltar, Liechtenstein. They have a 100% oh. win record against Liechtenstein for some reason. Well, I think I think Liechtenstein aren't very good. Liechtenstein uh, are, are even... We, I thought we established... They're, they're even smaller uh, as a population than the Faroes, so that, that's that got to be part of it. But I, I also I went on to visitfaroeislands.com and in, in their sports section, they talked about the first um, competitive game. So this is a direct quote. <laughs> the Faroe Islands national football team beating footballing giants Austria in their first in their first ever competitive game must be considered one of the greatest David versus Goliath stories in sporting history. The the match was played. Oh yes. And we all know this story guys. Yeah, I've heard I, we 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 definitely heard this on the playground growing up. Yeah. Uh, September 12, 1990 in Landskrona, Sweden. The Faroe Islands didn't have their own FIFA approved pitch at the time. About an hour into the match <laughs> Faroese footballer slash salesman Torkel Nielsen skips past a few <laughs> Austrian defenders and scores against Austrian goalkeeper Michael Consul. Pure euphoria. Although the footballing results that immediately followed didn't quite live up to that first phenomenal result, Faroese football has progressed immensely in the past 25 years. Anyway, so they're 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 very keen on Faroese football. But um I don't know. Um, you mentioned the Island Games, which I, I had actually, I think I had encountered before in other kind of countries to talk because I, I do look at the, sport, the sports as well. But actually their their national sport is rowing, which is actually what I thought you were going to talk about in terms of like a mini Olympics. That makes sense. Um, so, so you get your constitutional updates. Rowers, mm. yeah. <laughs> we're Nazis now. Oh, and, and not now. Stop. No, no more Nazis. Oh, what? Um, <laughs> rowers use traditional open Faroese boats. Uh, ranging from 6 to 10 oars, with races ranging in distance from 1,000 to 2,000 metres. The rowing season is short from early June to late July, but rowers train for many months. And there there are seven rowing races held at regional village festivals, and then they hold a final 
race during uh, Olavsoka during the Olives Wake uh, festival in late July. Mm. So they do like a, a mini like oh, cool. a qualifier heat via the, the, the villages, and then the best the best boats, I guess, uh, they they row at the at, at the national event. So that's their their national sport is rowing. Cool. Then the only other thing I think we should talk about is uh is food and some controversial food yeah yeah so uh, i i talked to arnie a little bit about uh, one thing that i had heard about the pharaohs so the next thing um what domestic food traditions are there we do have some food traditions something that distinguishes uh, our food traditions might be some a lot of our, our food traditional food is fermented right oh, so okay. um uh, you, you know, these are traditions that originated before refrigerators, right? So, right. so we had to find some way of of keeping the food from, from yeah. going off. And and one of those ways was uh, to do, uh, just to ferment them, right? So right. so we have fermented fish, we have fermented mutton. Th- those two Ooh. are the most sort of maybe challenging to eat for someone who's <laughs> not used to them. Right. Oh, the boy. 90% of the, of the mutton that we produce ourselves... Yeah. Like we import a lot of it, but all the all the sheep roaming the countries or the mountainside, ninety uh, percent of the the ones that are killed, uh, they go to that fermenting process. Um, uh, we also eat a lot of uh, you know a lot of the tourists that I talk to who come to the Faroes, they want to see puffins. All oh, right, uh, and puffins are are cute. They're they're great, you know, cute little birds, but they're really tasty as well. Uh, <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> there's 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 been a, a ban on hunting them for the last couple of years because there's so few of them at the moment. Oh right, okay. Uh, and just we need to give them a break so they can yeah, reproduce. Yeah. Uh, and and you know re- replenish the the stock uh, so we can get back to eating them. But they're, but they're yeah they're really good, really uh, tasty stuff. Uh, on uh, on on the topic of uh, animals that not not everyone would expect to be on a menu, uh, I wanted to ask about the whale hunt. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I I, I should have thought of that. That's something that does. Uh, um, you know, uh, make us a bit special, <laughs> okay, and yeah. something that we're worth maybe a bit known for. Uh, there isn't a lot of whale hunting that goes on in the world, but uh, the Faroes are one of the communities that does that still, and it's it's yeah. a, a tradition or a thing that we've done for many many centuries. And you can imagine, you know, living here maybe five hundred, a thousand years ago without any reliable uh, connection to any place outside of. Of here, uh, yeah. you need to, to get by. I mean, you need to to use whatever you can to survive, mm-hmm. and and that's that's how, how that started. And uh, and maybe you know, strictly speaking, we could could, could get by without it. Uh, but uh, but I, I I don't see why. Um, when, whenever people ask me about it, I I I I ask them to think of you know, you have two dishes in front of you. I don't know, chicken curry maybe. And yep. a, a dish of, of whale steaks or something. Mm-hmm. That little chicken, you know, it maybe spent its entire life on a farm, most likely, maybe in a cage even, if mm-hmm. it's not ethically uh, sourced. Uh, but then you have the whale who, who was born you know, in the wild, spent all its time just roaming around the oceans. Very free range, very sustainable. Um, and, it, you know, the last half an hour of its life, it wasn't free. And it, it was killed in a very, uh, in in a way that has been deliberately designed to to uh, cause as 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 little harm as possible. Okay. And you know, if if you're going to be part of a whale killing in the fairs, you have to have a certificate, okayed uh, by the authorities. Okay. 
and uh, it has to happen in a place that has been okayed as well. It's, it's very, very strict like that. Okay. And I think, you know, if, you, if you're looking at those two dishes, I, I would go for the whale meat, or I would feel a lot better eating the whale meat. Mm -hmm. uh, I would feel a lot better for that whale than I would feel for that chicken. Uh, so, you know, most people are okay with eating meat, uh, yeah. most people in the world. Yeah, and yeah. and you know, and when you think about it, uh, you know, one argument that I, I that I have some sympathy with is that whales are a lot smarter than mm -hmm. chickens are, than most animals are, and yeah. maybe they have a higher capacity to suffer, uh, and also mm -hmm. the social mm -hmm. aspect. They're very social animals. That, that th those are serious arguments that you'd need to think about. Yeah, but but you know, if you're okay with eating, with eating, you know, chicken, pork. Uh, beef, whatever. I, I think you should be okay with us eating a couple of whales a year. And 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 one thing that's really important as well is that we we're you know this is the pilot whale that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Those are are the whales that are hunted. They're not endangered in any way. Mm -hmm. uh, they're certainly not endangered by our hunting them. If there's anything that's uh, endangering them, it's you know chemicals uh, released from you know the mainland Europe factories and and so on. But you know, from from an ethical standpoint, I think it's it's very defensible, and and that's that's what I think about when I when I eat my my whale steaks. Yeah, no, excellent. Thank you for thank you for sharing. That. Um, so as well as the kind of the, the really interesting stuff around food in the Faroes, it was illegal to produce spirits in the Faroe Islands until 2012, and now that that's been repealed, oh wow, uh, they are actually trying to kind of set up uh, artisanal spirit stills there you go odin's gin or whatever well it's aquavit it's that scandinavian kind of mm. gin type stuff but um apparently the, the law used to be that every person who paid their taxes and was over 18 years old would get permission to buy 12 bottles of uh, 700 mil spirits per quarter of, of the year which meant that you could buy one bottle per week basically and people always tried to hit this limit always buying their weekly bottle because you know Otherwise, it was use it or lose it. So you you, you kind of needed to buy your bottles, and you could maybe then you know trade them. After that is the fact. so bizarre. Yeah, I, I came across this in this uh, BBC article about uh, like the post service in, in the Faroes and how they they rely still on some kind of voluntary um, uh, postmen to kind of make the trips to the smaller islands. But they mentioned that one of the people, one of the, the younger kind of people who's moved back to one of the the smaller islands, was trying to set up a company making turnip booze. Uh, and that's what made me kind of think about it. And then, like, apparently it was it was illegal until 2012. And there is a company that um, it, it makes a kind of a, a Faroese spirit. But for years, they had to actually store it in Denmark because they weren't allowed to 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 still it in in um, in the Faroes. So, right. yeah, anyway, that's a slightly conservative uh, approach to uh, alcohol, seemingly. They, they tightly mm. control it. Not unusual in the Scandinavian true, true, true. sphere. Influence. Yes, I, I have two two really quick last things. Uh, one is just okay. a, an interesting fact I found uh, that all Faroese people are registered in a genealogy register, which is a family tree of the Faroese people dating back all the way to the 17th century. Oh, cool. uh, so wow. uh, it was in a kind of a promotion of uh, the Faroes as a location for genetic sciences because they have this like massive repository of genetic information. So that that's a thing. And the other thing is that uh, I, I did mention uh, Brexit earlier. And uh, again, not, not to date the podcast anyway, but uh, one of the, the, the big benefits that was espoused in the UK of, of Brexit in general was that it would allow lots and lots of trade deals to be signed. And the idea was that, you know, when Brexit actually happened, um, 
that there would be loads of trade deals signed and ready to go and you know, we'd be trading with the world, you know. All very stupid stuff, enormously foolhardy. But uh, at, at the time of writing, uh, very recently, the Faroe Islands have been mentioned a lot in the UK because they are one of the four trade agreements the British government has managed to sign. <laughs> the UK has signed So the, so the, ma- the macro the levels will be safe then. So people are literally, yesterday I was listening to a, a podcast on the BBC and they were making jokes about we'll all be drunk on puffin meat. Uh, that's a, that's what's going to get us through the cold, uh, the cold winter. But as we've learned from Arnie, we can't, we can't, we have to wait a couple of years. That that's it, that's it. So anyway, UK is really relying on on the Pharaoh, the Pharaoh fishing fleet. Uh, cool. That, good, right. good luck to them. <laughs> to me, yeah. Joe. Good luck to me. Yes. Good luck to you, Mark. <laughs> Cheers. Um, we wish you the best in these trying times. Yeah. I feel pretty strong at the table about the whole thing. So That brings us to the end of the episode, pretty much. Uh, so you can find out more about uh, the Faroe Islands in our show notes, which should be available in your podcast. So we'll link to all the sources that we used, uh, videos and music and that sort of thing in, the, in our mm-hmm. show notes. Uh, you can also find those at 80dayspodcast.com, where you can also find uh, more episodes of this podcast if you enjoyed it. Uh, if this is your first one, then thanks for listening. Uh, if you are a regular listener, or even if this is your first time, uh, one of the ways that you can help out the podcast is by leaving us a review in iTunes. I know uh, quite a few of you have done that recently. Um, but yeah, the the more reviews that we get, uh, and the more recent they are, the more that it pushes R- us up review. the rate iTunes review. charts uh, oh, or the d- Apple d- Podcast d- charts. Did you want to read out that ridiculous one? Do you have it Yeah, handy? I think we probably should. Let me pull it up. Um <laughs> So we, we we were very gratified recently to receive um, an unnecessarily uh, epic podcast review on, on Apple Podcasts, worthy of a Norse saga, I think. This review was left by a user, an iTunes user called 00000M28 from the USA. The, the, the review is entitled, Fate Led Me Here. Uh, <laughs> and his review says... While watching a documentary, I realized I wanted to find a podcast, if one existed, to give me the Wikipedia version uh, of history of places around the world. Google led me here, as it is kind of close to what I originally wanted. The coincidence? Question. The documentary is about Namibia. Episode 1 is about Namibia. The universe has spoken. So, thank you 0000M28 from USA for that review. That was uh, five stars. Um, if you want to leave a, a, an eccentric review on our uh, Apple Podcast page, we really appreciate it, mm-hmm. uh, particularly if there's five stars attached. Uh, also, if you want to help out the podcast, you can go to patreon.com forward slash 80 days podcast. That's where you can get uh, perks and um, you can uh, chat to us about future episodes and interviews. Full interviews. Uh, full length interviews and all that sort of good stuff. So if you're in a position to be able to donate to the podcast, then we'd really appreciate it if you, if you could do so. Uh, if you like what you're hearing. Finally, you can get in touch with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, uh, all of which mm-hmm. are under 80 Days Podcast. Uh, so if you search 80 Days Podcast on any one of those platforms, you will find us. Uh, you can also contact us if you have any feedback or suggestions for future episodes or questions, or if you just want to yell at us. Uh, you can email 80dayspodcast at gmail.com. In all caps. In all caps, indeed. Joe, where can people find more of you on the internet? They can go to timetoburn.com, where burn is spelled B-Y-R-N-E, like my surname. It's a very funny pun. Right. <laughs> and uh, Mark, what about you? 
uh, under a pile of soiled nappies, uh, you might you might spy my Twitter at uh, markboy86. You can find me on Twitter at the Luke J Kelly or at my website lukejkelly.com. Thank you guys very much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Goodbye. Thank you.